Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Tracks Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Uh, number 44. Yeah. Keeps going. We are past the quarter point. Yeah, we really are. I was going to say the quarter pole, but the quarter pole is when you have a quarter left. Yeah, I, actually, I guess it's exactly the one quarter point. Yeah. We're yeah. at the quarter point. <clears throat> right, right there. A lot of times people use quarter pole incorrectly there, and I almost did it. Also, what kind of horse racing people are you hanging out with? No, oh, that's a common that's a common misused. No, no? people don't say that. No, never heard like, it. I feel like whenever I'm listening to a sports podcast or reading a sports article, and we're like okay. a quarter of the way through the season, they'll be like, "Well, we're at the quarter pole, and uh, you know the MVP so far, or you know these are the division winners so far. You know, this is what the playoffs shaving up to be." And it's always like, "No, that is not. You're doing it wrong. That's not." the I right think we've way. identified the difference between you and me, and why you have heard this expression a bunch, and I haven't. It's the sports, uh, sports media. podcasts and sports media. Yeah, it's um, in general. I. If I had my iTunes open, I'd let you know how many different sports podcasts I subscribe and listen to. It's a lot. It's a number of them. I expected nothing different. But this is hey, a, this is a Star Trek, so let's jump in. It is it. a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek. We're talking about Star Trek. Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. The way this project works is, uh, I mean, currently, yep. is we uh, will talk about this week's episodes in reverse order from the finishing order of last week's episode. So, mm. last week's worst episode was Enterprise. That means this week we're talking about judgment. And that was the most enjoyment you'll get out of this. Maybe not. I don't know. This might be a good one. Um, <clears throat> hey, was it last week or the week bef- before we did a Star Trek 6 episode in Voyager? Uh, I, would, I think that was just... A mere one week ago. Well, yeah, we're back. Everyone remember Star Trek Six? We didn't give you a chance to forget it. What a great film that was. Uh, one scene in that movie is the one that takes place in the Klingon court before Kirk and Spock get sent to Rurapente. That's right. Uh, apparently, that's what the, the the writers of this Enterprise episode wanted to wanted to do a redo on. Because this one opens with Archer standing trial in what appears to be a very similar, if not the exact same court. Uh, the Klingons... Yeah, there's, there's no way they had that set still in oh, storage. No, it's definitely not the yeah, same it's, set. It's meant to at least look the same. Yes. Uh, background information, apparently this trial takes place on Narendra 3. Did they say that in the episode? I don't even remember. No, that's why I said background okay. information. Well, all right. Um. Anyway... Like maybe it's from the script or something. So, Archer's on trial... Klingon trial. Uh, they mad at him because 
they are accusing him of uh, aiding and abetting some rebels who are trying to either alternately run from the Empire or overthrow the Empire. It's not really clear what their charges are against these people. But, uh, well, damn it, Archer was helping them out. And uh, they're pretty pissed off about it. So we get to see the whole Klingon court system here. Archer's got his uh, lawyer. I was surprised he wasn't just called, like, um, Colonel Martok. Right. The way that Worf, uh, the guy who plays Worf, plays Colonel Worf in Star Trek VI. Cause this yeah, is I the think guy- something comes up later that means that this guy is not an ancestor of Martok. Yeah. Well, he's played by the guy who plays Martok, is my point. Yeah. Uh, he's got this guy as his lawyer, and he's uh, old and, and kind of PO'd about the whole thing that uh, it used to be a great society, and, uh, you know, now we're the court system really just uh, is around to serve the military and, and all that nonsense. Um, but they're doing kind of a... I don't know, it's not quite a Rashomon thing, but first we get to see uh, what happened through the Klingon captain Duras's point of view. Duras, son of? Son of Toral. Oh, later okay. on, there will be a Toral, son of Duras? Uh, no. No, is it still Duras, son of Toral? What's Duras's kid's Tur- name? Isn't Toral? Oh, shit, no, I don't remember. Is he Duras's illegit- possibly illegitimate son? Uh, Yeah, I think Toral is, is, yeah. Toral is the son of Duras in the TNG episodes. So again, they're pulling a Colonel Wharf on us. Um, Oh, the sirens are always coming by at this time. Uh, Anyway, we get to see it from this captain's point of view, and he claims that uh, he just wanted to get those refugees slash rebels back, but uh, Archer was was angry and used Klingon insults on him. About how he didn't have honor, and he was his ancestor. He was going to join his ancestors in the afterlife or something. Mm-hmm. We referred to the Enterprise as a battle cruiser. Battle cruiser Enterprise, yeah. Um, yeah. So we could see it from his point of view, and the Archer was asking for it, and so that's why he had to uh, he had to go to fight Archer, and then Archer used some sneaky tactics and beat him or whatever. Um, then we get the Archer point of view, where the the Klingons came and yelled at him very meanly, and he almost cried, but didn't. <laughs> and um, and he was helping these people because they were dang old refugees whose ship wasn't working, and they had no life support, and they were all dying on there. And then they told him a sob story about how the Klingons came to their world and stripped it of all its resources and then said they'd feed them, but never did. And they had to leave to go find somewhere else to live. And so he had to help them. And then the Klingon captain was a dick. And he had to like uh, go lie in wait in a uh, the ring uh, planet's rings, and then yep. just like in that Voyager episode, that was a Star Trek Six episode, he had to ignite some of the shit out there. Right? Isn't that what he does? He ignites it and it disables the Klingon ship. Yeah, it gives them a chance. It disables their sensors and gives them a chance to disable the ship's engines because the Duras' ship, the Bortus, mm-hmm. uh, Colonel Bortus, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it might be Colonel Bortus. Uh, we might hear that name again. We might hear the name yeah. of the Bortus again if we stick this project out. Yeah. Uh, was faster than Enterprise, so the only way for him to get away was to disable the engines. Yeah. So, Archer explains his bit. Uh, eventually, Archer is able to talk. I say eventually. It took like one conversation to talk uh, Colonel Martok. Kolos? Kolos. Kolos Kolos into uh, giving him a real spirited defense instead of just laying down for the Klingon court. 
like he has been lately. Yeah, he's one of these um, defense attorneys who's really working for the state. Yeah, we'll see this again this week. Yeah, just one more time. Um, yeah, the guy brings up Archer's past record with the Klingon Empire, how he's always been really helpful to them, uh, notably in episode one, when he returned that guy, that Klingon guy back, who was found in Iowa or wherever. That's right. Oklahoma. I don't remember where it was. Um, and then and exposed time. a and exposed a Sulaban plot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess he uh, he makes he pulled that ship out of the atmosphere too. He, that's right. And he he makes uh, some impression on the judge who only sentences Archer to uh, hard labor at Repente. You know where people die. Yep, as we learned in Star Trek Six. Uh, only but... a magnetic shield prevents beaming. That's right. No guards, no whatever. And um so uh the so the judge gives him that, but then uh uh Kolos is super pissed off about this and uh he gets he gets real uppity and he gets found to be in contempt of this Klingon court. So he gets to go along uh, with Archer for a period of a year. Is Archer just there for his natural life? Archer's there till he dies. Okay. So Archer's there till he dies. This guy's going to get a year, but he'll probably die. Uh, and then, you know, there they are, sitting there in the mine, doing the uh, Kirk and McCoy thing. Uh, just wearing some furs. Discussing where different species keep their genitals. Right. Not everyone keeps them in the same place. Uh, Some people keep them in their knees, which seems wrong. Meanwhile, up on Enterprise, um, T-Pole gives the reasonable order that Archer had passed down that they gotta let him go. And they got to move on with their mission. But that obviously doesn't last. Because shortly after uh, Archer and Kolos uh, keep, keep up in their bro level. By like fighting prison guards and stuff. Um, Reed has uh, snuck in to the uh, to the penal colony to rescue them. Because they, I don't know, they paid off some, some Klingon dude. Yeah, specifically Reed and Trip want to ambush the ship that's taking Archer to Ruripente. Yeah. But they got... There's only one starship. Yep, there's only one. They can't, they can't call for help, and they're in Klingon space. Deep so in Klingon space, like, and again, they don't have a military, and many times the Klingons make threats in this episode about sending a fleet of warships to Earth. So. Right. So T'Pol's like, no, you idiots. That's a bad You idea. dumb idiots. <laughs> yeah. I know some diplomatic back channels, which turns out to just be bribery. Yep, they bribe the shit out of somebody, and they get Archer out. They're going to take uh, Kolos with them, but he's like, nah, I gotta... I, I can't. Uh, I can't. If I'm a fugitive, I can't yeah, fix can't, the Klingon. Empire. Can't skip out. I gotta stay here and do my job and and save the empire. But you'll be seeing more from me because I I got something to live for. I ain't gonna die out here. I assume he dies. Um, he could be. Uh, what was this one about? This this law episode. Yeah. So um, this one is like uh, even when times seem bleak, a few courageous people can make a difference. Okay. It's a classic Star Trek idea. Right. Just like, takes one. Yeah, you just gotta stand up for what's right, and sooner or later, that will prevail. Right. Like, the good will win out in the end, as long as there are people to defend it. So, uh, that's fine with me. That's a six. Okay. I didn't have any trouble finding a take. The take is Star Trek-y. There's nothing about it that it particularly needs to be science fiction, except that, you know... It has to be at least, like, 
I don't know, dystopian or set in a place. Exactly. You have to make something so bad that you're not spending time thinking, well, how bad is it? Right. So, uh, that's fine. I gave it six. I have it as a seven, and I have a slightly different take, but it's obviously still about the legal shit. Um, I have um, a fair legal system is the bane of tyrants. Because sure. this Klingon boy is all pissy about what a great society they once were and how his uh, dad was a teacher and his mom was a biologist and how he's a great lawyer and uh, now everything exists to serve uh, the military and it's a military dictatorship and now they're not a great society and all everything is just about fighting and war and everything. Um, and he is saying that the legal system in particular is being used as a tool to keep keep the society this way and how it yes. used to be different so that's the take that that i came away with which i thought was specific enough and easy enough to find that it was worth seven i mean it's definitely in there it, one of the areas where this falls apart is they we don't we don't need the rashomon yeah uh and they could have I would have enjoyed if they'd used that time to dive a little more into how the Klingon Empire got to be this way. Yes. Because it's by far the most interesting thing that's happening. I'm going to say in Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is the idea that the Klingons didn't used to be this way, that the warrior caste is in ascendance right now. It's especially interesting because we know where the Klingons sort of end up in the TNG DS9 times. Right. So we know that... They get about halfway back to where they should be, right? It's certainly extremely militarized in the future. I've always gotten the idea from the other shows that it sort of is, everything is sort of military-related, that every house kind of supplies an army, but everyone's kind of in the army. Right, but of course that's not possible. There must be farmers. Sure, but I assume they're uh, associated with some house, so it's just kind of like they're doing logistics, you know? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's we never get to see much besides what's going on with the great houses and their military endeavors. Um, but just to dive into execution, I had the same thought. Could you use stronger examples of how this specific legal issue has hurt Klingon society? It's all related in generalities by this dude. So we get the feeling that military tyrants keep control through the abuse of the law, but we don't. We only really see Archer's weird legal adventure. Yeah. Um. I, anyway, I liked the take, because when we've seen other versions of this with, like, the Cardassians, maybe this week, maybe in other episodes. Could, could be coming up. Or even in, like, a less malevolent way, maybe with, like, um, the Edo people, Injustice. Sure. It's been portrayed as kind of a bummer for the individual who goes into an unfair legal setting. But... You're right. It's not discussed what happens to the society as a result. Yeah, this guy is talking about an ill that... Um, that has befallen the entire society for a generation or something like that. Um, Martok was likable as this Klingon guy. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it was heavy-handed, I liked that Duras testifies that Archer made some crazy Klingon-sounding threats about this dude joining his ancestors in the afterlife and death to the Empire and all that. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so I added it as a six in execution. Yeah, um... It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because, like, also, when Duras says that he said he was from the Battlecruiser Enterprise or whatever, uh, that's probably just how Duras remembers it. Yeah, that's how like, he thinks Starship of doesn't mean anything to him. He's on a Battlecruiser himself. Yeah. 
Yeah, this um, is my opposite number, the Battlecruiser Enterprise. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I'm with you. I think this is an, uh, this is an interesting device. Because it allows the Klingons to be extra lousy for now. Right. And they're still pretty slimy in TOS. Like, they're weaselly in TOS. <laughs> yes. Um, we may see Klingons today. There was a lot TOS. of related stuff going on in all yeah. the episodes this week. But we can still sort of like them and root for them and like the other aspects of their culture when we get to them in TNG, right? Yeah. Like, because we can see, oh, this is a phase that Klingon society is going through. Also, in general, um, I thought this uh, this was pretty good for an episode of Enterprise. I probably gave it more points than it deserved. Just because it's like, when you see an Enterprise episode that doesn't make you throw up in your mouth, you're kind of <laughs> like, what are they doing? What's yeah, this? I think, yeah, we've talked about it on other episodes. We are, to a certain extent, grading on a curve. I mean, it's a little bit. So I gave it as much as an 8. I'm not wow, okay. confident about that 8. Yeah, because after the episode's over, you go, that was all right. But uh, but it's you know if it didn't do anything bad in any area or whatever yeah, it's fine yeah in general there are, uh, there are a couple of missteps in characterization but those are in characterization and I would have liked to learn more about this but it's like of course the empire has to run on something other than uh, dudes killing each other to advance in rank yeah like that has to be a small segment of society. But because that's the part that interfaces with outsiders, that's what we see. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, we get some different looks at Klingons. We get the weird fucking uh, chorus and conmels, but we get more of the um, yeah. Cor- but by the way, chorus and conmel are, are not raging against the fading of this yeah. military. Right, like they don't like what the Empire is becoming as it aligns with the Federation, which we presume is a swing back in the other direction. Yeah, what I was going to say was we see more of the Cargons. Yes, we, get we do see way more, more Cargons than we get Conmels. Or Choruses, I guess. Conmels just got the sidekick. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I liked it. I'm, um... Cargon was the... Just and we... We talk about these things in shorthand. Cargon was the guy uh, who Riker was serving under when he did his exchange program. Who was a real D, who couldn't stop for one second and think, "Yeah, why would the Enterprise put this thing on us and then bring <laughs> right. Riker aboard and then come right back?" Like he he was just like, "Nope, it's time to fight and die." <laughs> That's right. Um. So uh, I am going to downgrade it to a seven. I don't think the eight was fair. I think it was take, giving too much credit to. The fact that this is an Enterprise episode. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, the world building? So some. Okay. But this is where I wish they had done more. Yeah. So we see... Frankly, we learn more about the Klingon courts here than we did in Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. But that's fine, because Star Trek VI uh, is a movie and is written like a movie. And this you only learn as much as the scene is there for. Also, they another ground to cover. They had a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, we uh, see a D5 battlecruiser and learn that it can go warp six. And also it pretty much outmatches Enterprise in most ways. Yeah. And we learn about the Klingon class structure. So there's world building here. It's not as much as I would have liked, but it's more than we get most weeks. I gave it four. Yeah, there's some... Okay, so there's some continuity for Klingon courts, which is good. Uh, they may have overdone it. 
by just trying to make it look exactly like Star Trek Six and seem exactly like Star Trek Six as they could. But I, you know, I imagine a court in the United States in 1940 looks kind of a lot like it looks now. Well, I think Shannon can weigh in, but, like, I think maybe judges in England still wear those uh, powdered wigs. Yeah. So, like, in some ways, you <laughs> would say, well, that doesn't seem like they've come very far since the 1700s. Right. Um, some, some tradition, like, why does a judge in our court wear a black robe? Right. Uh, some stuff about Klingon trials. Archer shouldn't speak. Kolos will speak for him. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we have family continuity here. We got this son of a bitch, Duras, and his son... Uh, son of Toral, uh, who I believe we are absolutely supposed to assume is the same family. Uh, he has the same like ridges it. as Duras, so I think we are supposed to believe it. Uh, like you said, all the stuff about the battlecruiser. <clears throat> Something about rebels hoping to overthrow the Empire. Turns out their planet was annexed and stripped bare by the Klingons. Blah, blah, blah. Now, uh, we have seen previously that the Klingons do not particularly treat these planets they annex well, right? Yeah, there was one with a kid in it that I tried my best to ignore, right? Where the kid yes. wanted to be Trip's best friend. Yeah, he wanted to learn all about starships, and they had to. They had set an overly complicated plot that relied on <laughs> T'Pol being able to drop kick somebody. Or... It, was, it was very stupid their plot. And then I'll go out and dodge his blades. <laughs> uh, what if he gets you? It was. Mm, I'm Vulcan, though. It was a very dumb episode, as I recall. Um, uh, I already mentioned the stuff about igniting the rings, the way they ignited that nebula last week on Voyager. They got them Klingon tasers, which look like pain sticks. Maybe they're the same thing. I thought they were just pain sticks, although he didn't glow red. <laughs> right. And he didn't seem to enjoy it the way a, a Klingon does. Um, judicial Charter of Kolov. No, no, he didn't express his deepest inner emotions at all <laughs> when he was getting hit with those pain sticks, <laughs> which is odd because he is so emotional otherwise. He really is. They, as soon as the guy put that pain stick to him, he should have been like, oh, I hate my dad. <laughs> Wait, I hate what the Vulcans did to my daddy and go. I hate what he made me become. That would have been good. Uh... Uh, the Klingons have recorded Archer's previous dealings with the Klingons, but nobody seemed to know or care in that courtroom about any of the shit he's been up to. Which at nah. least is more realistic. Sometimes people in these shows know way more than they're supposed to. Um, uh, this guy describes, like you said, the different classes, the way the law used to work. Um, and that the laws are still on the books. Like, it, none of this is de jure, it's all de facto. How much would you say we learn... I know you said we learn more here than in Star Trek Six. Is it just the actual court proceedings and procedures? Yes. I think that's true. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I have it as a four. Also, well. it, it it didn't make sense to me. So in Star Trek Six, General Chang is the prosecutor. Yeah, I feel like but he just walked. Is in that his full time job, or is he doing a special one? Yeah, and they've, therefore, how closely are they hewing to procedure? Yeah, I think he. I think since it's his plot, he's just like I'm just going to oversee everything. Yes. Yeah. I'm 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 the boss from start to finish. Kind of the way was Golovek the the guy who does the arrest of O'Brien in this episode. Golovek does the arrest and appears as a witness against him. So that seems to me to be the same kind of thing. Like this is a giant plot. So missed opportunity there, by the way. But we'll talk about yeah. it later. Um. Yeah. So four for me as well. Okay. Um. How about uh, characterization? Flox uh, smartly pretends Archer has something contagious in order to see him with some limited privacy. Everyone don't want to be around him. Um, Archer fairly easily convinced this lawyer to let him tell his side of the story. Like, they had one honest conversation. And yep. then the guy was like, Yeah, alright, I'll do whatever you want. 
Um, he also got, clearly, the immediate shits from that blood wine, but had to keep drinking it so he'd look tough. <laughs> yeah, he definitely he definitely pooped his blue underpants as soon as he swallowed that blood wine. Uh, that old Klingon is his new best friend. Shran will be jealous. Um, T-Pole is being reasonable about not going rogue deep inside of Klingon territory. Uh, Reed and Trip think leaving the captain there is as bad as two dudes having sex, which they would never be into. <laughs> That's right. It's important to know that. Uh, nobody was being, nobody was depicted as being like crazy stupid this time. So that's good. So I also kind of graded this on a curve and gave it a six. Yeah. Uh, so it was hard to know what to do with characterization for me on this one. So this is a two-hander, right? This is almost entirely Archer and Kolos. I don't think you even said Prosecutor Oroch's name. He's a nobody. He was just and the guy definitely hitting the rock didn't on say the rune. Right. Um, but so, and they're both fine, by the way, this is pretty good Archer cause he, I don't know. He's just saying, he's just saying Federation captain ideas instead of crying about the Vulcans or whatever. Just let me go back one second. Cause I was kind of talking over it. Did you say the prosecutor was a guy who plays Nehrun? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, the voice was familiar, but I didn't bother to look him up. So that is actually new information to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm right. awarding it six more points. Oh, I see. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a bunch of continuity points continuity for including for... a Babylon 5 actor. Just because I love Nehru, that's all. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, uh, so, the, so the real shame in this episode is that it's kind of not believable that Tripp and Reed would go along with T'Pol at the end. Because they should go along with her. She's correct. She's 100% right. Yeah. But their characters have not previously been reasonable men. So it's like... It's a departure in the right direction, but it's not earned or believable. So that's why I only gave it five points. Right. Because in general, everything's fine, but it's like they've done such a bad job of making these characters uh, reasonable or learn to trust each other that it's kind of, it was a little bit off-putting when they did at the end, when they weren't like, no, we should do the dumb commando raid anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, overall, this feels like they scored well. Yeah, good good scores pretty pretty far. We gave them both both gave them fours for world building, but uh that's not uncommon for world building. No. That's actually not a particularly bad world building score. Uh did you have any quick ones that we haven't already talked about? Um So I have one in order which will only make sense later, but that this is the third rigged justice system this week. And I have mine in a different episode, also based on the order that I watched. Yeah. <laughs> about how it was the third one about uh, these terrible flawed justice systems. Uh, no, really, I just I thought it was a better homage to Star Trek VI than Flashback was. Flashback was very bad. Yeah. So I am in agreement. Um, just looking through this... Uh, Oroch's case is very weak. He calls Duros and that's it. I think it's because he's just like, oh, this is already decided. We know how and he introduces go. Duras with the notion that he has just been demoted for his failure. Yeah, and then chews him out and tells him to get out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's not amazing. He That's how confident he is that he's already won this case. Yeah, that's how you know how rigged the system is. <laughs> Called him he one guy in, and talked about what a piece of shit he was. He brings in one recently dishonored witness and then says, no, nah, no further witnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's true. What about you? Did you get some quick hitters for this one? Nope. We already yeah. talked about them. <laughs> I, I had very few. Uh, you know, uh, this, 
they packed a lot into this episode. When the trial wrapped up and I moused over Netflix and saw that there were still like 12 minutes left, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I I really felt like we'd run the full whatever and they were going to have like a minute to spring him. Yeah. Uh, so like they, um, no, dude, this, they, this one moved along at a pretty good clip, I would say. They still had time for them to be bros on, uh, bros underground. That's what it says on their t-shirts that they made together. And, uh, and then for the, for the weird little read appearance in the end. So the, uh, the dude who plays Martok. Yeah. JG Hertzler. Yes. Could they just not get Rip Torn? Yes, I've I've always thought that. I well, like we haven't seen this. We haven't seen this actor play any of his famous characters yet in any of these shows. This is his first appearance on this podcast. Yeah, but I'm always like, I just kind of want it to be Rip Torn. The first time he ever appeared in DS9 when I was a teenager, I went, is that not Rip Torn? <laughs> that sounds like Rip Torn. I can't tell. He's under all that Klingon stuff. He sounds like him, and the part of his face that's not covered up looks enough like him that you'd believe it yeah i mean maybe i even assumed it was him for a while i don't know i gave best actor to kolos i thought uh, he was my favorite part of this for sure and worst actor to uh magistrate nobody yeah that guy did not stand out even with his huge lady gaga outfit (laughs) he was nowhere near as charismatic as the one in star trek 6 who also didn't do anything yeah but he was at least much gravelier Ah! and when he said (laughs) You were like, oh, that sounds like a bad place to go. Don't want to go there. No interest. Sir, I don't know what that is, but I would like the choice, too. What's behind the door? I want the other one. I will not be going there on vacation. Yeah. All right. Well, what did we watch next? We would knock that one out pretty quick. Yeah. So, fourth place last week was Voyager. Oh, no. And so, uh, this week's episode is The Shoot. Oh, boy. In a prison full of aliens, an alarm sounds. A new man is coming down the chute, and it's Harry Kim. Yeah, another, I mean, it couldn't have been, that would have been a really bad metaphor. It had to be a literal chute, but I was just still annoyed. <laughs> that right in the teaser, there it is. Not only is it a chute, but they refer to it as the, the chute. chute. Yeah, I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, he gets uh, all kicked and beat up by the inmates, mm. but he sees the familiar face of Tom Paris who uh, does a real gambit on him and delivers one final knee to the gut. Yeah. Uh, Paris claims Kim from another prisoner. I, I think his name was said once later, and it might be Pitt. <laughs> but they did not do a good job of introducing no, 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 I, any I, of the people. I think it was Bit, just like from Bit? the Petey Pablo song. Ah, yeah. Well, just like <laughs> baseball Bit, I'm on deck. <laughs> Uh, he claims him, saying that he is, uh, Kim is the guy who put him behind bars. Mm. He, uh, confessed to some bombing, uh, that killed 47 Akrotarians. Yeah. Those are the, those are the aliens in this. And that's why he and Tom are there, so that's why Tom Paris has a claim to him. Anyway, it doesn't seem like he really believes that, and it turns out that, uh, they told uh, Harry Kim the same thing. They told him Tom Paris had confessed. Right. Um, actually, I kind of got the feeling that Harry Kim half believed it. <laughs> yeah, okay. He seemed way more hurt, is what I'm saying. Why would you do this? 
You can't my, say that. You're my best friend. Yeah. I decide whether your life is worth living. Um, <laughs> the the prison is supposed to be underground, believed to be underground, and it has no guards. Mm, kind of a rural but the prisoners situation. have devices. Hmm? Kind of a Rura Pente situation. It's real Rura Pente-esque, yeah. Mm. Uh, the prisoners have devices in their heads that uh, Tom Paris thinks makes them edgy and violent, um, but which will kill you if you try to remove them. At first, I thought they were calling it the clap, but it's the clamp? The clamp. Okay. Doesn't really... It looks like a plug. It doesn't look like a clamp. Yeah. But that's fine. Uh, let's see. A bunch of food bars come down the chute, and the prisoners literally start killing each other for the food. All right. Cut to Voyager, where the Akraterian ambassador uh, to the Federation? That doesn't really make it, sense no, that they refer to him as the ambassador. Yeah, they ain't got one of those. <laughs> he's, he's ambassador at large? Yeah, he's the roaming ambassador. He's a rover. Seems like they should be talking to some kind of security minister or something, but whatever. He explained his role very carefully, and they went, so you're, you're the rover. And he went, no, I'm ambassador! I'm an ambassador. So that's what they called him. Um... He notifies them that uh, Paris and Cam have been convicted of a bombing because they found some trilithium residue on their clothing, and this old planet can't even make trilithium. But hey, your ship uses dilithium, and those sound the same. They rhyme. Yeah. So uh, they send a boarding party, and Janeway retreats temporarily. Mm-hmm. She says that she doesn't think it'll help get Tom and uh, Harry out if she, they fire on the ships. Which but also, maybe she was just like, let's figure out if we want to do anything about this at all. Maybe we can just leave them. <laughs> I maybe, mean, it's nice to get rid of Paris. I don't know. Is there some way I can execute them myself? I kind of got a thrill that one time. <laughs> she loves killing. So they, um, they instead decide to start looking for the real bombers by searching for trilithium precursors, specifically paralithium. In the other ships in the system. The good news is Tom Paris started his book, If I Did It, um, yes. on the way out. Well, he was looking for the real bombers, so. Um, Kim and Paris uh, have decided that the only way out is back up the chute. But it's got a dangle force field over it. Right. So, uh, Tom Paris goes out and finds Harry Kim a bunch of, no joke, loose wires. <laughs> and tells him, maybe you can disrupt the force field with this. I got you wires. What else do you want? Yeah. Woof. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, they uh, try to keep each other sane and focused by talking about all of the great foods they want to eat. Mm. That's the camaraderie that goes through this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, the first attempt to disrupt the force field with uh, some wires and a pipe. Uh, just gets uh, Harry Kim shocked and alerts all the other prisoners who attack. And Paris gets in a shiv fight with one, yeah. um, but he gets stabbed pretty good. So uh, Kim tries to drag him back to where they've been sheltering, but it's been taken over by some crazy old people. <laughs> so he goes and seeks out this uh, one weird prison guru who none of the other prisoners want to fight. Uh, he's because he's he so tries... 90s. He's like so a Seattle 90s guy, and that's why they don't want to fight him. Exactly. Uh, he tries to teach Harry Kim how to overcome the effects of this clamp. G- you know, pass on his prison wisdom. Yeah. Uh, but Kim doesn't care. Doesn't pay attention to any of it. 
No. Well, to be fair, most of what the guy is saying is like, but just ignore it, though. Oh, no, don't do that. Like, use it yeah, as your right. strength. That's right. But, but but even so, Harry comes just like, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I need to put my pipe in the force field again. <laughs> my best friend got me some wires, and I'm going to use them. Uh, meanwhile, Voyager has found the ship. Um, that that was responsible for the actual bombing. It's like a guy and his little little kid sister, and she keeps giving up information because she's not smart. Right. Um, and so uh, what these guys want to do is use Voyager to break into the detention facility, but instead, Janeway is going to take them and turn them in in exchange for uh, Paris and Kim's release. Yeah. So, uh, Kim gets into the chute and climbs up to the top, and whoops, they're on a dang old space station. This doesn't matter. Yeah. Except that they keeps him in the prison even after he gets into the chute, I guess. But they could have just moved the part where he got into the chute later in the yep, episode. which, by the way, again, just means they were wasting all of our time. Yeah, big waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, he, Kim sort of doesn't give up, tries to work out maybe when the ship comes back to deliver prisoners or food, we can like bust through the hatch and take him by surprise or whatever. But he's also just kind of getting crazier and crazier because of the clamp. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Paris is getting crazy too because of his, uh, stab wound. Yeah, stab wound and the uh, clamp is not a good combo. When Kim finds out that, uh, Paris has dismantled his special pipe. (laughs) <laughs> he gets real mad and they fight and Kim sort of just just manages to not bash his brains in with this pipe. You're right. Uh, meanwhile, Voyager has gone back to the planet with the terrorists and the dude's like, well, they've been convicted, so... What do you want me to do about it? Well, <laughs> nothing's gonna happen. Yeah. Sorry. You're stuck. So now it's plan B, which is, I guess we are gonna raid this detention center. But uh, let's use Neelix's shuttle. Was this just because they... Are they afraid of sacrificing Voyager for this? Are those guys, are those aliens too strong? I, I honestly don't know, because we only saw them fire at Voyager for like a second, and yeah. it didn't seem like it did anything. It's, it was a weird plan. But she's just like, they're like, oh, they're going to be looking for us coming back, but they don't know about Neelix. Yeah, also, we didn't know about Neelix's shuttle. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's been sitting down there <laughs> yeah. for years. Um, So the shoot alarm sounds and the prisoners get real crazy again. But, oh, Janeway and Tuvok drop out. I think Janeway actually pops up basically first. Yeah. And they start phasering people, and I guess they get everybody back up the chute, and Neelix manages to pilot the ship out of there, past all of those patrol ships, and he gets real proud about it, and he wants to take a turn at the con, but uh, the doctor says Tom Paris is going to be just fine. (laughs) Oh, Neelix. Kim feels real bad about his fight with Tom Paris, but not apparently about all of the other prisoners they left behind. No, those guys are fucked, and they're probably all innocent. The end. Matthew, what was this episode about? Prison tests even the closest of friendships. Look, that's not much, but I'm being totally fair to this episode. I gave them every opportunity to make an episode about how fomenting paranoia is the way tyrants stay in power, or about how confinement and abuse turn men into animals, or about how there's a thin line between terrorists and freedom fighters, or a million other things, but nah. They neutered some of those by having the clamp there to make everyone crazier. 
never delved into the terrorist stuff or the government in charge, and instead made it about the dumb friendship between a Tom and his Harry. So that's a two-point take. <laughs> All right. Uh, I was a little friendlier to this one than you. Okay. I gave it as many as four. This uh, this is supposed to be an episode about how the system turns prisoners, but also just in general the underclasses against each other for the benefit of the upper classes, right? Right. Uses them to punish themselves. This is Zio's entire manifesto. By the way, his name is Zio. Oh, okay. Cool. We we only learn it basically right at the end. Oh, when he says Zio uh, when, was right. When Harry Kim says Zio was right, and I go, oh, I guess that was his name. Oh, all right. Well, we didn't. I guess we didn't need to know that earlier. Um, that's fine. <clears throat> it's pretty discouraging, and this is kind of execution that uh, Harry Kim, with his advanced Federation upbringing and values, didn't recognize that he was right until he got out, and the doctor was like, "Yeah, this thing's putting is putting crazy juice in your brains. <laughs> it makes you just so hopped up on anger." Yeah, and then he goes, "Zio was right." <laughs> Like, yeah, you dumb idiot. You dumb idiot jerk. <laughs> like, regardless like, did not, of... Do they not do sociology at the Academy? Regardless of all the dumb crap that guy was saying and the fact that he was a New Age idiot, like, it, that should have... All of that should have been obvious. The parts that the doctor just said. Yeah. Like, who gives a shit about what that crazy guy said? You should have just been able to figure that out on your own. Uh, I think it's like... It's it's a Star Trek take. It's just... the This is the... They're not saying anything about it, really. Yeah. Because it's like, oh man, prison sucks, so I guess let's leave all the other prisoners here. Yeah, let's leave them. And again, who knows how many are innocent or what? Doesn't matter. Just leave them. Yeah. Your one experience with these people in their legal system has been that they will accuse anybody of anything. But Yep. And try and convict them and don't care about new evidence and stuff like that, right? So, like, yeah. But, you know, know, just, fuck, like it's not our problem. Janeway don't want to have a bunch of criminals on her ship. Dirty criminals. So, swinging around and talking about <laughs> execution mm. uh which i also gave four points okay sometimes janeway cares about the prime directive and sometimes she doesn't right but in this episode no one even says the words no 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 i think they've given up haven't they i think after I mean, all this time they're like fuck it she's just like ah i guess i'll go catch these terrorists for these guys yep and then just trade them uh, the, also the big problem is that we're putting a lot of pressure in this episode on garrett wang to act, and as usual, he doesn't really deliver the goods. That's why when in the teaser I saw Harry Kim come down the chute, it was a double doe. It was like, yeah, oh, there's the chute. Harry Kim comes down the chute, and then the rest of the episode's about Tuvok. <laughs> it's like, oh no, that's the chute. I'm mad at that chute already. And then also, oh great, Harry Kim, this is going to be uh, really so we're great. Gonna get no- it's going to be an- another long episode where Belana Torres is dealing with her half-human parentage. <laughs> but it does start with Harry Kim coming down a chute. <laughs> That would have been a yeah. Good that was misdirect. never going to be a case. Yeah. Um. We have another one of those uh, justice systems that doesn't seem to serve anybody here. It's, when we get one of these straw man bad justice systems, it's like, how does it work for the people? Yeah. How, how does it work for the society? What does it mean that they behave this? Like, we will, we'll get more about that from Cardassia. Yeah, but that's because Cardassia is not alien of the week. Yeah, right. They're so. not flying away from there as fast as they can afterward. Uh, it's just it's just lazy. It's like this is welcome to Planet Evil, where everything's evil. Yep. So it's don't a worry though that ambassador's lounging when you call him. He's just lounging on his couch. He's cool. 
Tell uh, me what you thought of the execution. I give it a two again. Okay. <laughs> they, I don't think they ever intended to relay any message or moral. They just wanted to put the characters through some stuff. Um, and they choose two of my least favorite characters and put them in a dark prison with '90s weirdos. And then in the end, they didn't really accomplish anything in there. Like Harry Kim doesn't f- find a way out. He doesn't save Tom Paris. He doesn't save the inmates. They don't like form a community that rises up. Like nope. nothing happens in there. Nothing that happens inside the prison matters. Yeah, Voyager just shows up and saves their butt at the end. I guess Harry Kim kept putting enough uh, bandages on Tom Paris that he was still alive by the time Janeway showed up, and that was about it. Yeah. And the angle about Paris and Kim's friendship was not written or acted well. So, to me, this was a miss. It was a a miss not on a level that uh, was outrageous and and made me angry, just on a way that was boring. No, they they have a real uh, trip and read friendship Mm -hmm. here, where it's like, Let's let's talk about the steaks we're gonna eat, and I'll mention the Delaney sisters, oh, and then that's that's how you know we're friends. Yeah, didn't love it. Um, I world building. I can get, jump into it here. Uh, Please do. Acratiri, Acratiri. What what are these people called? Oh, they're the Acratirians. Acratirians. Um, the clamp, an implant in his head. Paralithium and dilithium can both be converted into trilithium, which itself can be used as an explosive or in an explosive. Um, how did these guys know that trilithium could be turned in, uh, could be gotten out of dilithium if they can't even make trilithium? Like, where did they yeah, that's come across question, huh? that information? Open sky terrorists, I mean patriots, uh, space prison. One of the Delaney sisters is Megan. Oh man, did they say that? I missed that. Yeah, and I wasn't sure that their first names had been mentioned before. I didn't realize they kept Neelix's old beater in one of the cargo bays. Um, I guess it makes sense. They probably ain't gonna make any more shuttles, except... How much cargo could... How, like, how much trading could he have been doing if his entire ship fits in one of Voyager's cargo bays? Voyager's not a big ship. No. By Starfleet standards. I assume his ship is no bigger than, like, a shuttle. So... So has he taken one crate of stuff around at a time? <laughs> I don't think he was doing much trading at all. I think he was doing a lot of floating around in space, is what it seemed like. Um, I might have been convinced it was a three if any of this stuff was ever going to come up again, but to me it's a two. Okay, well, um, I gave it one. Okay, alright. <laughs> but you didn't know that one of the Delaney sisters was Megan. I didn't, but so, I also don't count that as world building. No, it's nothing. If they had said something about that explained what their relationship with the Delaney sisters was, other than that they wanted to totally something. do a foursome or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's okay if it's in a three-way. The foursome. Well, I was just quoting Lonely Island for you. <laughs> oh, right, okay, yeah. With a honey in the middle, there's some leeway. Um, <laughs> They've been hauling around Neelix's ship for ages, Paralithium and Trilithium. But that's it. Yeah. We're never going to see these Acratarians again. Yep. You're not wrong. Why, why, why did they go down to the planet on shore leave? Why just the two of them? They don't seem to do a lot of research. Like, when Riker gets caught in 
first contact. Mm. That's is that the episode where he gets caught? Yeah. Yep. Where B.B. Newworth wants to do him? Yes. We then later learn why he was there. Yeah, he was trying to do some information gathering. Yeah, or like in um, Shades of Grey, yeah. when Riker gets caught, we then later learn why he was there. Do you mean Shades of Grey? That's the one where he, a thorn gets him. Oh, son of a bitch. No, I mean, what's the one where he's in the play, but it's real? Oh, Frame of Mind. Frame of Mind. Yeah. Yeah, he goes down there to do a mission. Yes. Some sort of mission. But it's just like, Tom Paris and Harry Kim are in jail because <laughs> of a bombing that happened while they were down there. Yep. But like, yeah. why is Voyager sending people down to this planet? That's what I'm saying. They don't do a lot of research anymore, do they? They just show up in nah. a place and just drop people off. I guess we're out of the areas where Neelix knows anything. <laughs> or he would have said, yeah, these guys. That's why you do research. They have terrorist problems, and their justice system is shitty. That's right. Yeah, it seems like a bad place to do shore leave, given those two facts. So there was some world-building missed opportunities. Like, what does Voyager need here? Why are they here? Yeah, there was almost nothing but missed opportunities, given all the stuff they chose not to talk about. So, characterization. Okay. Tom Paris has been in prison before. And we're not going to use that at all here. Well, he does act like he's like an old veteran when um, Kim shows up, but then he reveals he's only been there like since the day before yesterday or something. Yes. So that was kind of weird. But like, this, this show starts with Janeway picking him up out of jail. Right. Say something about your previous prison experiences, how this is different. Yeah, yeah, What exactly. it's like in the Federation, how you got through that stint. If Harry Kim be like, what, you were in jail before, you tell me what to do. And then him go, well, it was a Federation penal colony, it was different. Something like that. Janeway's treatment of these terrorists is extremely shabby. <laughs> yeah. But, um, as usual, everyone else on the ship is just like, yeah, whatever. Tuvok just stands right there while she's like, I'm going to turn you in. And I think Chakotay is just excited to man the con. Yeah. He gets to push buttons today. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit about what she's up to. I didn't think nothing actually came out about Kim and Paris's actual relationship in this episode. And I found that surprising because it seemed like that's what they wanted. Yeah. And also, Kim saying Zio was right at the end doesn't seem to have led to anything. Because then when the, when he goes out and he's, like, not excited about the steak dinner that Paris is talking about, I'm like, ah, is he thinking about those prisoners that are back there? But no, he's like, I almost hit you with that pipe. I love you, buddy. Sorry about that. So, Zio was right, and it doesn't matter, I guess. Yeah, he let that go immediately. Doesn't matter that he was right. Uh, so I thought more, way more misses than hits characterization wise. I gave it three points. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Paris is supposed to be quick witted today, at least. And he's got a whole backstory made up about bombing those troops and how Harry Kim betrayed him. But he's also like, it's, he, he's also lost his shit in those two days. We find out it's because of the clamp, but he's straight up slapping that cup out of Harry Kim's hand and telling him places in a hotel. Dang, dude, relax. Um, at least Janeway doesn't try to blow those two patrol ships out of the sky like Archer would have. Oh yeah, so that's a plus. She just—it would have been Murder City. Archer would have shot everything he had at those guys. 
Uh, Archer just, I mean, uh, she just retreats to consider her strategy. I laughed out loud when Janeway said that attacking the prison and retrieving her men isn't how we do things where we're from. Bitch, you know that's exactly how you do things where you're from. Then she makes a, a, a real shitty remark about this stinky teenage girl. About how she needs to take a bath, which seems petty. And then, uh... It's like... I didn't understand that scene at all. Like, is she doing good cop, bad cop? No, I think she's just kind of a bee. Yeah. Because she's really sassing this girl. Who's who's giving her some lip, but, like, she's a teenage girl who you just yeah. captured. And she's like, make sure they get a bath. And I was like, wait, is Janeway a bad guy? <laughs> I think she might be a bad guy. That's the kind of thing a bad guy would say in one of these shows. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then she strong-arms the terrorists after failing to trade them for her own crew. She just, like, makes them do what she wants. And I thought that was going to come back to bite her, but nah. That, they just they just roll over and do what she needs them to do. Well, they have zero leverage. Yeah, but the way the guy's like, oh yeah, alright, no, I'll help you. I thought he was going to try to betray them, but they don't. We never see those nah, fuckers again. we never again. see those guys again. She we don't know if kill them. let them go or turned them in anyway. <laughs> she loves killing. She might have killed them. <laughs> I thought that she was going to use their ship. Yeah. And was like, let's introduce Neelix's ship now. Yeah. Yeah, it probably would have been better to use their ship from a narrative standpoint. Right. Um, Kim loves Paris, and he hulks up when his boy gets stabbed. Oh, he does. He goes, psycho. He's swinging that really short pipe around. Just not coming close to hitting anybody. Yeah, but, you know, the prisoners aren't afraid of the pipe, but they feel his energy, and they're like, eh, <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> leave it alone. Yeah. Let's steal that guy's boots later, I guess. But it's also pretty clear he's the weakling of the duo, because everyone wants to possess Kim when he shows up, for oh, yeah. some reason. And they it's know not, they have to fight. Not at all clear what Bit wants to do with him. <laughs> yeah. but... And they know they have to fight Paris to own him, so. Uh, yeah, Neelix pilots the getaway shuttle and is proud of himself. It was a four for me. Below average. Do you have uh, quick hitters? Mm, only a few. Um, oh, yeah, just the... I was talking about how Paris acts like he's the old veteran when Kim gets there, and it turns out he's been there for two days. He's like, I once saw a guy try to pull the implant out of his own head, and it killed him. What, you mean like yesterday? Yeah, this would have been yesterday or the day before. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, this guy playing the guy who wants Paris's boots, as I mentioned, is so 90s. His hair... his uh, Zio. His hair, voice... To me, he was from Planet Seattle. And then, um... <laughs> I obviously had worst actor candidate Harry Kim. Yeah, uh... And, uh, that's who Ben has his worst actor also. Oh, did Ben get his notes in? He gave the best to uh, Schmollis on this one. Well, for his two lines. barely in it. <laughs> but, it's hard to argue. I gave best actor to Zio and worst actor to Harry Kim. Mm. Uh, I had almost nothing quick hitters-wise. Uh... Why does the chute have a glass window in the hatch? Yeah. What's the purpose? No one's ever supposed to be in that chute. Why is there a weird porthole to have? Yeah. (laughs) Is it like so? In case you, in case like you get to a point where the sphincter at the bottom is an opening and the thing is just full of food and dead prisoners, someone will notice. (laughs) Yeah. But like they're going to open the hatch to dump people in there, so they'd see it then. It's just so Harry Kim can look out and realize he's in space and that we've wasted twenty minutes. Yep, that's a good point. Hadn't thought about it. That is a dumb window. Because there's a version of this, right, where they get out of the chute, 
Janeway comes back with the real prisoners, and the ambassador's got to be like, actually, we don't know where they are. <laughs> like, they escaped from the prison the other day. Yeah. We haven't recaptured them. Like, it's um, attached. Yeah, attached. I was going to say, like, attached. <laughs> um, But no. Instead, the guy's just like, I don't care that they're innocent. Yeah, who gives Whatever. a shit? But they couldn't. But luckily, the thing's in space, so they couldn't get out. Yeah, eh. not great. Also, why? How? How come you can overcome that force field with loose wires? <laughs> you know how the wires act as a um, interruptant. Yeah, I know. He's literally <laughs> he short circuits the panel, but that there should not be a prisoner accessible comm panel down there or control panel. Yeah, because. What if he just beat it with a stick? <laughs> it probably would stop working also, right? In Star Trek logic, it would, because it's so, if you bash the panel, whatever system it is supposed to be controlling also fails. As we've learned from other Star Trek episodes. So not not a great episode, but at least we were in and out quick. Yeah. Yep. We're getting there. We're moving along. In, uh, in third place last week was Star Trek the original series. So this week we watched The Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah. Uh, Enterprise is called to Deep Space Station K7 on like a super mega emergency. Just priority one and all of that. Yeah, they were already going there, by the way. Well, they get called there quicker. And when they get there, uh, Kirk and Spock beam over and they gotta meet this real tool of an undersecretary that Kirk immediately hates. Who's like... Our grain, super in danger. This isn't just spe- this is a special grain. It's not regular grain. It's quadrotriticale, and it's mad important to our strategy on Sherman's planet. Sherman's planet, which is claimed by both the UFP and the Klingons. And uh, their great strategy is they're gonna give, they're gonna build it up and grow shit on it. Um, anyway, so he's asking for people to guard the shit out of this grain before it gets shipped over to, uh, to Sherman's planet, and that's a mega emergency. Kirk wants to hit him, I think. Yeah. He wants to hit the guy. Kirk is so pissed about this misuse of the Priority One channel (laughs) that he's shitty about it for the rest of the episode. Literally, until the episode is over, he's still angry about this first thing that happens. (laughs) He um, insults the guy to his face all the time. Oh yeah, it's he's not he doesn't take this well. No, and he so he wants to punch him, but Spock gives him some whispers, and he's like, "Hey, uh, this grain is actually pretty important for Sherman's planet. We got we should probably." Yeah, Sp- Spock pulls him aside, and he's like, "Hey, I know he he should have only called us here priority three instead of priority one, but like we actually this is. Do you remember how we were just talking about how it was important to us?" for the war that we have with the Klingons that we be able to develop Sherman's planet per the Organian Peace Treaty. So, like, we need to, we need to, like, help this bro out a little bit. So, Kirk agrees to, like, leave a handful of guards. Uh, do you mean two and only two? Two and only two guards he's gonna leave for this guy to guard this stupid grain. Because it's stupid, and who cares? Um, also, uh, some Klingons show up. 
and they're like, hey, we want to do our, uh, want to do our shore leave here. And we're allowed to, per that treaty that we talked about a minute ago. Because that's the kind of thing that is spelled out in that treaty. About how many, yes. we can shore leave where we want, or whatever. The super powerful Organians, mm-hmm. who uh, prevented the Federation and Klingons from going to war. They were in no danger that whole time. It just looked like they lived in huts. That's right. Those guys. Uh, they spelled out treaty rights and development contracts, etc. Right. Uh, anyway, so Kirk's not really in any position to refuse the Klingons their shore leave there. It's not his station anyway. Um, but he's got to protect that dang old grain, and he doesn't trust Klingons. So he leaves... Uh, he says they can only bring 12 at a time onto the station, and he'll have a guard for every one of them to make sure that... 12 seems like a lot, right? It does seem like a lot if you're trying to restrict what they're up to, because 12 could cause some trouble on that little station. It looks yeah. basically empty. Yeah. Like, before they all get there, there's, like, one guy trying to sell triples, and that's the, that's it. Yeah, how's that bartender stay in business? Also, what Because he seems to care about f- credits, so, like... Yeah, how does he stay in business? And why did that salesman come to this empty station to sell things? Yeah. Anyway... <clears throat> Uh, well, they're going to take advantage of the shore leave, too. Uhura wants to shop. She's mad. She's got mad shopping on her mind because she's but a lady. Uh, and Chekhov's going to go with her because this episode had to have a lot of Chekhov in it. Um, so they're going to go down to that station, too. Uh, and I guess everyone's going to hang out there now. We're all just going to chill and hang out here until that shipment of grain gets out of here. Klingons and Starfleet. Um... So, uh, Kirk leaves uh, Scotty on the station, too, to watch over some of the junior officers and make sure nobody gets into trouble with the Klingons. Forces him to go down there on shore leave. He doesn't want to. Yeah. So, hey, watch these kids. Uh, we, who knows what they'll get up to. We can't have a big incident with the Klingons. Whatever. Uh, anyway, this guy, this triple salesman, he, uh, he sells a dang old triple to, uh, well, actually, he gives the triple to Uhura, and then he's going to sell some to uh, the bar owner. Yep. Well, uh, it eats some of that quadro triticale, and then it makes like a million little triple babies. And it turns out these tribbles will just eat shit, and then, um, and the kind of like if you feed Gizmo after midnight, yeah, just spits out a bunch of mad babies. Yeah. So throughout the whole episode, more and more triples are appearing all over the goddamn place, and it's uh, causing a bit of a nuisance to everybody. Anyway, um, yeah, it also causes silly music to play. A lot of silly music. Um, a, a lot, lot of, of violence going like, wow, wow, wow. A lot of people looking bemused and slightly agitated. Um, boy, uh, there's a big brawl between Klingons and Starfleets at the bar. Uh, the Klingons are hurling insults about Captain Kirk, and Chekhov gets all mad, but Scotty tells him to sit down, we can take a few insults, it's not a big deal, but then they insult the Enterprise, and they call it a garbage scow, and then they say, oops, my mistake, I didn't say it was a gar. I didn't mean to say it's a garbage scow, I meant it should be hauled away as garbage, and then there's a big brawl. I mean... This fight lasts so long. It was one of the longer action set pieces so far. Yeah, dudes throwing each other over tables and across the bar and probably doing karate kicks and judo chops and shit. Um, well, Kirk uh, comes along after the, the fracas. Fracas. 
Jonathan Frakus. And then he um, he wants to know who's responsible for this shit, and no one will own up to it. So he sends them all to their quarters. A bunch of real Spartacuses. Yep, except for Scotty, who he holds back and he says, well, What the fuck happened? I made you go down here to make sure this shit didn't go down. And then Scotty has to admit that he was the one who started the fight because they insulted the Enterprise. Kirk at, at first thinks there's, maybe there's a chance he was defending his honor, but nah. Nope. No, not at all. He was defending the Enterprise. It's comedy, Matt. Yep, a lot of comedy in this episode. It's a very light episode. Anyway, um, I'm just gonna, can I cut to the chase? The triples, they eat all the grain. Yep, they see, they... They find him in the machines on, on the Enterprise, and Scotty's like, I don't know, they fucking came in the vents, and Spock's like, oh, fuck, those vents lead right to that grain. Yeah, and so they find him, and they've eaten all the grain. They fall on top of Kirk, and then they do a, a scene where it goes to commercial, it cuts back, and he has to dig himself out from under a big pile of them. And yep. give a smile to the camera, like, what's happening here? One weird thing, though, the triples are dead. All the triples have died, and it turns out, Mm, uh, Spock figures out because them shits was poisoned. Someone had poisoned all of that grain that was supposed to be going to Sherman's planet. Well, okay, early in the episode we find out Tribbles hate Klingons because they're racist. Yes. Um, and uh, so because they like bark at every Klingon that comes by. Well, they are really unhappy with uh, this undersecretary's assistant, Mister. Uh, what's his name? Oh shit! Nerd, it's like Dervish, Nerdballs, Dar Darvin, 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 Darvin sounds sounds realistic. Darwan. It's one of those things where I don't think they say his name in the beginning, but then later Kirk knows it. Someone says Zio like, was right. right. He learned it off screen, just like uh, Zio. Yeah. Well, anyway, this Darvin guy, uh, triples hate this guy, and it turns out it's because he's a Klingon, and he had poisoned all that grain that was supposed to go to Sherman's planet. And it was a weird coincidence that all this triple stuff was going down at the same time. Because um, he didn't have to do anything. Those triples were going to eat all that grain anyway. Uh, so yeah, they uncover that Klingon spy. And then uh, all the triples is dead, except the ones on Enterprise that uh, Ura has been accidentally breeding. Um, but that's okay, because Scotty beamed all those over to the Klingon ship before they left. Because the Klingons hate them. Where there'll be uh, no triple at all? No triple at all. Uh, then, then yeah, the, some other ship's just going to transport some more different grain over to that planet, so everything's fine. Yep. What, uh, what was this one? Okay, so, I think this one is, uh, don't introduce exotic species into your ecosystem, mm. or like, I mean, it's bad. It's an ecological take. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a fine message, but the whole episode is such a farce that it's a little bit of a stretch to say that that's what this is about. <laughs> right. Um, but it's a that's my five point take is uh, don't go reintroducing species. The other trouble with this take is that it is Enterprise's intention to introduce <laughs> a foreign and man made grain. Yeah. To Sherman's planet, but they're intentionally trying to develop that, and apparently it's kind of a shithole, and it's not clear why they want it. Because yeah. must have strategic they're importance. Like, this is the only thing that's going to grow on Sherman's planet, and it's like, well, then, who cares, right, about it? <laughs> yes, yeah. In that case, who does care? They just want it so the Klingons can't have it. But uh, anyway, that's my five point take. What did you think this one was about? Mm, I also gave it five points, but I had uh, the very plain: don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, them triples are mad cute. 
what turned out to be a fucking crisis in waiting. Yeah. Uh, also, that Klingon is posing as a human official. He turns out to be a secret spy. Uh, what appears to be a waste of time to Kirk ends up being a great victory over the Klingons. What appears to be simply grain is the salvation of a planet and their strategy against the Klingons. So, the episode was kind of full of these things that are like... Looked like one thing, turned out to be another thing. You get it. Looks can be deceiving. I'm yeah. sorry, you said don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, but maybe looks can be deceiving. Whatever. That one. Yeah. Uh, so pretty um, commonplace, it's a five. Yeah. Uh, Ben's take. Oh. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Even the most useless creatures or people have their uses. Oh. Jones is useless, but introduces the Tribbles. Sure. Cyrano Jones is the name. I don't think you said his name. No, he's salesman. Uh, The Tribbles are useless, but not only uncover the plot, but solve the mystery of who is the hidden saboteur. Okay. He gives that ten points. The take, even the most useless creatures or people have their uses? So no one is useless, I guess, is the take. Yeah. No one is completely useless. Yeah. That doesn't feel like a 10, but, you know, that's his. That's how he wants to score it. I can't feel like a 10 to me. I guess swinging right back through his execution, he says uh, he got nothing to say (laughs) other than this is 100% of what he wants out of Star Trek every time his execution score is a 10. I see what's happening. Now... You also must have given this an execution score. I did. Was it, it a 10? It was not unscored. Um, No, but I may surprise you because I did give it a 7. <laughs> Aside from what I described above about how the different things that tur- turn out to be other different things, it was less dull than I find most TOS episodes to be and actually kept my attention. Like There were no long periods where I zoned out and didn't know what was happening. Mm. I think there was a lot of light-hearted character work done, and we got to tangle with Klingons, and I didn't have a lot of problems. I didn't feel like there was a lot of bad, bad uh, stuff going on. I wasn't over the moon about any of it, but I thought it was generally fine. Well, hold on to your gooch, because I gave it a three. Okay, alright. <laughs> so, Kirk has had a lot of differences with Federation officials before. Yeah. He's unhinged in this one. He hates this guy. He fucking hates him. Is it because the dude did a wrong priority? Yeah, dude. He texted catastrophe, which was special code that they had set up ahead of time. Yeah, and so Enterprise had to get there 15 minutes early? <laughs> right. They like, went to warp 8 instead of warp 6. Or they whatever. were going there already. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the campier episodes of this show. Yeah. It's like I mud level of camp. Mm-hmm. And then... It's hard to tell what the real stakes are for Kirk here. Like, is he in trouble? Is it going to fall? Is it going to be on his head that the fucking triples got through the vents and into the grain? I don't think so. He seems, it, he it's seems not to be related ready. to his decision to only put two guards on it. He seems to be really willing to blame everything on the undersecretary anyway. Oh, yeah, at the end. But it's like the triples finding out that... Uh, Darwin or whatever was the bad guy. Yeah. We're supposed to believe that that saved Kirk's ass oh. from the fire, right? But, like, I didn't get a good sense as to what the actual stakes were here. Yeah, aside from the strategic stuff going on with Sherman's planet, 
um, the stakes were pretty limited. So, uh, I just thought this kind of fit, like, it's corny, and everybody remembers that and I guess likes it, but like, I don't really feel like this is, this one moves the needle for me, TOS-wise. And, you know, the, the, I enjoy TOS more than you do, on the whole, but not this week, I guess. I wonder if there's ever been one where you, me, and Ben were at least three points apart from each other. Oh, like a 10, a 7, and a (laughs) 3? Yeah, we really went, we were all over the place on this one. (laughs) Well... I don't know. I don't know about Ben's 10. <laughs> yeah, Ben's let's 10 talk, seems disingenuous. <laughs> let's talk world building. Okay. Go for it. Uh, ben said, uh, there's macro parasites that are furry and cute. Klingon knee is one way of referring to the Klingon language. <laughs> I, I noticed. Klingons appear to eat and drink and relax similarly to humans. Okay. In this era, Klingons do not have women aboard their ships, apparently. Or at least not this ship. Hmm. Uh, Koloth makes an hourglass shape with his hands when he says they're looking for relaxation. They mad ruddy, for sure. Apparently, Klingons do not find jollity and command to be mutually exclusive. And Tribbles have racial memory. Uh, yes, they do. They hate the Klingons. Does that sound like ten points? Because Ben gave it ten points. For the game, <laughs> <really>. <laughs> okay, so he's clearly being disingenuous now. Okay. Because it's, I don't, again, we've talked about it many times. 10 on world building in our scale is, it seems like it's a theoretical possibility. I gave this five points for world building. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's not even like I thought they didn't do world building right. this week. Um, uh, Klingon troubles date to first contact. Yeah. We learned that here. Uh, we learned all about the Organian Peace Treaty. Yep. Which is interesting because it's an imposed treaty by a higher power, right? So, yeah, but they both do seem willing to abide by it. Maybe they're afraid the Morganians gonna kick their ass. Yes, they have. They have to abide by it, but it, they don't believe in it. Probably no, right? Like they both would. They both would rather just be at war. Probably. I think we learned that in that episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a priority one call is more than an emergency, and it puts the entire sector on battle alert that's what i mean dude it was a big text all in capital letters catastrophe yeah sure like when hawaii thought that a nuclear missile was coming something like that well earlier this year i always bring that up from a documentary i saw about the uh tsunami in uh in asia in 2004 five what year was that the Uh, christmas day one Whichever year uh, that was. I, I don't remember. It was while I was still at eBay, so it was one of those two for sure. Um, And uh, how somebody had texted their loved one just catastrophe in capital letters. And I thought, that's a crazy thing to text somebody. Yeah. <laughs> to just text catastrophe. First of all, it's longer than tsunami. It's longer than tsunami. It's not super descriptive. And, like, they're going to figure out there's a catastrophe. The giant tsunami that kills everybody is going to make the news. Yeah. Maybe text them something like, I love you, or... I'm going to get killed by now, now by a tsunami or something. But catastrophe yeah. was what was texted. <laughs> anyway. Uh, soda pop still exists in the future, at least in idiom. Uh-huh. Uh, we learned there's some agriculture talk. So here's one. McCoy explicitly says that the Klingon agent is all weird on the inside. Yeah. He doesn't say anything about his outside being altered. I know. So I guess as far as he's concerned... Klingons look exactly like humans. Yeah. And that makes me less mad at DS9. And uh, I guess Enterprise... Enterprise still mad that Enterprise felt like they had to address it. Yeah, it was better if no one talked about it. Yeah. 
But, like, I always hated that little line in an episode that we'll get to in some number of years where someone asks Worf point blank why yeah. Klingons look different, and he's like, we don't talk about it. Yeah, that's dumb. Don't, just because, don't bring Worf. Because until that had been said, I always figured it was possible to just say, well, special effects got better. Yes. So now they can do something to Klingons besides putting a little burnt cork on their face and giving them a mustache. Yeah, never something I felt the need to have fixed either. That could totally exist outside of the canon of the show. Just on the outside, they changed the special effects. No big deal. Yeah. But from this, it's clear that McCoy can't see a difference between humans and Klingons. Yeah. So I guess that means in-universe they do look the same in this episode. Yeah. So, anyway, five for world building. Where are you? Mm, let's see. Deep Space Station K7, Sherman's Planet, claimed by both sides. Treaty of Organia. Covers even things like Klingon Shore Leave. John Burke from the Royal Academy originally discovered and mapped this sector of space. Um, blah, blah, blah. Priority one distress call. Did you mean Ivan Borkov? <laughs> yes, exactly. And Chekhov's dumb bit that got really so he says Ivan got Ivan Borkov. really tired by the end of this episode um I, I didn't like it the second time it happened so by now I am quite tired of it uh undersecretary for agricultural affairs in this part of space um Quadro Triticale it's Canadian and it's the, it is Canadian it's the key to I check off will later say it was invented in Russia right I know <sighs> uh all the triple stuff <clears throat> credits are still a currency in this episode uh, Tribbles go for somewhere between 1 and 10 credits apiece. Depending. Uh, they'll eat your dang grain if you let them and reproduce like crazy. They hate Klingons. Um, I can't really keep track of the hostilities between the Klingons and the Federation. I feel like I never know if they're at war or if they're not. Yep. The The Klingon says there are no formal declarations of hostilities between them. But man, they are always getting ready to murder each other. Uh, also heard klingon E. Um, yeah. That's terrible. Um, why do Klingons wear figure skating outfits everywhere? Why do they have a gold lame vest over their regular <laughs> over black their... turtleneck, you mean? And, and their pants are all shimmery and shit? Yeah. Maybe that's tough back on Kling. Um, before all the forehead stuff, I guess it was pretty easy for Klingons to pretend to be human, is what I have. And, um... While all the Tribble stuff probably doesn't matter much, because I don't think we're ever going to see him again unless it's a retread of this exact episode. Uh, there was some good Klingon stuff in there, so I had it as a four. Okay, so we're not too far apart there. We're way far apart from Ben. <laughs> I guess before we go into characterization, let's just say that Ben gave it a ten. He's he's just fucking with us because he knows his scores don't count. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, man. Uh, do you want me Scotty to reads technical oh. journals for pleasure. Scotty loves the Enterprise more than he loves Kirk. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Spock and McCoy have a little chat about the Tribbles. He he loves this. is This is his favorite episode, I guess. This yep. is Ben's favorite Star Trek episode. Yeah, he gave it a 10. He's just staking out his territory here. <laughs> what did you give it seriously? Uh, Chekhov is sort of informal in staff meetings. Just... Uh, Still doing the thing where he claims Russians invented everything, which is tedious. This tracks. He was griping on the bridge in the old age episode, right in front of that Commodore. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. 
it was sort of half funny the first time he did the thing about things being invented in Russia, but gets less so each time he does it. Um, he calls the, this Klingon a Cossack. I don't understand Russian insults, other than that they may all be racist in nature. I don't understand that one feels like it is. why calling that guy a Cossack was an insult. Uh, and he does not want to hear any shit about Kirk from this dude. Spock puts Chekhov in his place for making jokes in the briefing. As he should. Spock loves tribbles. <laughs> uh, Uhura took shore leave at K7 so she can go shopping. She loves tribbles. Kirk is mad that everybody knows about Quadro Triticale but him. Yeah, that's true. That part was fun. Even though he picked off, it was wheat right away, so who cares? Yeah. Uh, you could, this could not, this would not happen with me. You could not put some fucking seeds in my hand and I'd go, it's wheat. <laughs> that's wheat right there. And then half of the guy go, no, dummy. It's not wheat, it's special wheat. Um, he also seems to resent having to guard this grain in the first place. I guess it's not cool and manly. Like it's not I mean, a that's cool. The, he mission. doesn't give a reason for it, so he's like, "I want to do cool missions. I'm only here to be cool." Is it possible to be proud of and disappointed in somebody at the same time? Because Kirk looks like he feels both of those things after the big fight. Yeah, he feels uh, he feels okay about casually insulting this undersecretary too, as we discussed. Hey, it's Koloff. He'll, he was in that DS9 episode. Yeah, that's right. He was one of those three. So now the only one we haven't seen is Kang? No, we saw Kang. He was Core? on... Maybe it's Core we haven't seen. Though we did see him in that terrible Star Trek Six episode from Voyager, right? Wasn't that him? That wasn't Kang? Fuck, I don't remember Fuck anymore. Me. Which one's which? We've got one coming. <laughs> um, anyway, this was the Squire of Gothos in this one. Uh... Scotty knows what real booze is, and it has his name in it. Um, he listened to insults about Kirk all day, but won't hear one word about Enterprise. Hey, this guy was recently acquitted of murder, and maybe yeah. he should chill out. But now nah, he's going to start a barroom brawl instead, uh, even though he was sent there to keep the junior officers in line. He takes his punishment well, though. It's a chance to catch up on reading some technical stuff. McCoy likes Tribbles more than he likes Spock. Um, it's a five. Uhura prevented it being a better score. Um, again, it was pretty lighthearted. And everyone kind of worked together. It was fine. I liked it a little less than you. Okay. Uh, Kirk is in a really bad mood here. Did an undersecretary cause an explosion and he bonked his head? <laughs> Right now, he hates all undersecretaries, unless he goes to Hooker Planet. Spock seems pretty ticked off that these Tribbles can't, like, plow a field. Yeah. But he obviously recognizes that they're prey animals, and it doesn't make sense to me that he'd be so dismissive of a big piece of the food chain like that. Yeah, Spock, what gives? Oh, this is in, take, in keeping with your ecological take. That's right. Yes. I thought McCoy was fine. I'm sick of the Chekhov shit, but otherwise he was fine. I thought you were going to hate that Kirk was mean to Uhura. But honestly, she is super blasé about the 95 triples being on the bridge. Now I kind of feel like that's just part of the show now. That's it. He's not nice to her. <laughs> He's not nice to Uhura. And, and commenting on it every time isn't going to make it better. I can't I so. make her life more bearable. I uh, I only have it as a three. Okay. So 
you and I are a little bit apart. I haven't done the calculation, but we're we're not together on this one. But yeah. you're so far behind Ben that it doesn't matter where we are. Neither <laughs> one of us gave it a forty. I have a few quick hitters. Do it. Did uh, Chekhov just know that Ivan Borkov fact, or did he somehow get it from the computer while doing background research on this system? It's unclear because he purposely misunderstands it. Yeah. So I get the feeling he at least definitely knew it and was trying to pass off a lie. But I don't know how. Did you see the outfits the waitresses in the bar were wearing? Uh, yeah. How come those waitress outfits are exactly as revealing as the jumpsuit for Kirk's robot bride? <laughs> but not even 1% as sexy. I know there's something very specific that happened in that episode. This is that some, I'll remember some, forever. Some kind of magic that you can't get back. Then I'll... I'll always remember it. Uh, Cyrano Jones is the shabbiest dude in the universe. <laughs> yep. He's not trying to put on airs for anybody. I don't he think. is fucking made out of wrinkles. <laughs> and he tries to the, snag himself a free drink from behind that bar during the brawl, but no. He fucking puts a drink in his pocket, in a glass, <laughs> in his pocket. In a, in a glass. He puts it in his pocket. He is, yeah, you're right. You're right about Cyrano Jones. Uh, this fight music for the big fight scene is like 90% snare drums. <laughs> it's it's the fucking Peggy Sue of fight music. Oh, they should have just played that. That would have been good. Yeah, that would have been good. Uh, looked like Walter Koenig was doing his own stunts, but then, uh, nope, never mind. There was a lousy stunt double with different hair. Mm. Uh, and that fight scene went on forever. Uh, was it uh, longer or shorter than when they went up into those hills that one time? With that lady who had <sighs> well, to have, want the baby. She had to want it. Well, that was pretty long. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, last week, Kirk fully believed that Scotty was a serial killer. Yes, he was willing to believe that, for sure. This week, he can't believe he started a fight in a bar. That's what I was saying. I don't think there was a lot of Scotty continuity on this one. No. Uh, I thought Koloth is weird. He just is the Squire of Gothos again. Like, does is that this guy's only character? Is he a real Tony Danza type? But his Tony Danza is <laughs> Koloth. Weird fop. Yeah. Look, dude, you don't hire Koloth to play core, right? Common expression. <laughs> that's that's what they say. <laughs> uh. You could, it radiated from Shatner and Dewan how proud they were of that scene where he asks why Scotty started the fight. Oh man, they loved it. Everyone they loved, loved it. doing that scene. Uh, once Spock says an ermine violin, why does McCoy let that tortured analogy pass? <laughs> when he says that the tribbles are soft and they make a pleasing sound and that's why humans like them. And Spock says, so would an ermine violin. Yeah, it's not great. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's not a great joke. <laughs> That's not anything. <laughs> would it be covered in the fur of an ermine? Or would it be made out of one? They're just completely made out of one. Just a hollowed out ermine. Which would be all long and skinny and weird. That wouldn't be a good violin. It wouldn't. That's what McCoy should have said. It wouldn't make a pleasing sound. He should have put down his instrument kind of angrily and gone, well, that wouldn't have been a very good instrument. I mean, of course, you just looked at him and said, A what? A what? <laughs> I'm sorry. What, boy? Ah, <laughs> oh, you're bringing the Georgia out of me. I'm so mad now. 
that black classic Hanes does not fit D. Kelly at all. It's like all bunchy around his neck. We get a closer look at him in his medical outfit than we usually do in this one. Mm. And unlike everybody else, he has a t-shirt with something over it, and it looks janky. Well. How do Tribbles eat grain without teeth? Do they have a gizzard? I don't know. Unexplained. I gave Best Actor to McCoy, probably. And Worst Actor to Cyrano Bonus Drink Jones. (laughs) Just one for the road. It's within reach. Easy reach. Give me them quick hitters. I know you got them. Kirk tells the guy in uh, in charge that he better be prepared to do more than explain why he signaled distress priority one. What does he want? A beecher? <laughs> Something like that. How can the guy do more than explain you're gonna, it? You're going to repay the Enterprise <laughs> for the dilithium we burned? <laughs> it's really weird. I just went, huh? Uh, and again, the guy's like, no, dummy, it's not wheat. And then Spock is like, yeah, it's wheat and rye, all like hybridized. Like, what an asshole this guy is. I understood why Kirk hated him. He was mm. being a real dick in that first scene. Um, why did they feel the need for that comic Kirk slowly comes out from under a pile of triples shot? What is the show? What has the show become? A farce. Uh, okay, dude went through all the trouble to poison the grain. But dang, man. The triples would have taken care of it for him. Yeah, he didn't know the turtles were going to be there. He must have poisoned it before it even got to the station. It's super ironic, and he must be just kicking himself. Like, this is the kind of luck I always have. And the fucking tribbles ate the grain, but then they died, so everybody knew it was poisoned. But then the tribbles <laughs> said I was a Klingon. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was really just the worst possible luck for this guy. No tribbles, he's fine. His plan works fucking... It's, it's the best fucking plan anyone's ever seen. But these tribbles blew the whole thing. Uh, the Tribbles are that one Japanese Center Force commander who retreated. That's right, exactly. <laughs> At Leyte Golf. Sorry, guys. Uh, Kirk was upset that Scotty might have beamed the Tribbles into space, because then they all, all the Tribbles would have died. But then he thinks it's hilarious that they were beamed to the Klingon engine room. He knows they're going to die the over there. Did with them? Yeah, exactly. Like, they're for sure going to die on that Klingon <laughs> ship. So, like, there's no difference. But they all have a good laugh. After he's appalled that they might have been beamed into space. That's all I had. Uh, I mean, Ben's got a few. Um, He just just loves the smiling enemy dynamic uh, that TOS created between Kirk and the Klingons. I don't hate that. I think that's okay. I don't hate it either. It's kind of like Sisko and Dukat. Yeah, or like um, uh, Tom Malak and and Picard. Right. Uh, why wasn't the traitor actually cast as Harry Mudd? Perfect time to reuse him. It's basically the same dude. I mean... I mean, he's less of a buccaneer. Well, for one thing... <laughs> less of a space buccaneer. For one thing, Kirk already sentenced Harry Mudd to a lifetime in ironic hell. That's right. He has his, his, oh, in his power. And by the way, don't worry about it. He's got one cooked up for Cyrano Jones. Yeah. He's ordering him to personally... Remove oh. every triple from the station, a task which Spock thinks will take 17.9 years. Right, I forgot about that, yeah. So yeah. another arbitrary punishment from Captain Kirk. Again, well within his rights as a Starfleet captain. That's right, as captain of one starship. 
Uh, triples stick to walls and go through air vents. Those were yeah. the end of his quick hitters. He gave uh, best actor to Scotty and worst actor to the spy. Even he didn't catch it. Yeah, him, no and one he gave this episode forty points. <laughs> Again, we're not gonna let's not talk about that anymore. That was he was just that was a dig at us in our scoring system. I see, because he he doesn't feel like his scores count. Well, now they're extra gonna not count. Well, did we do your quick hitters? Yeah, I did them. They done. Okay, good. <clears throat> Uh, second place last week was uh, The Next Generation, and this week we watched Manhunt. Mm. Enterprise is at Antides 3, picking up dignitaries bound for the planet Pacifica for talks on joining the Federation. Actually, sounds like they've been invited to join the Federation. Right. Um, I had some questions about that, but we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, it turns out they're fishmen, and when they arrive, they're in a self-induced catatonic state. Mm. And they uh, stay standing in the transporter room while Pulaski works up a spot for them in sickbay, which is just long enough for uh, another transport ship to arrive with Loxana Troy on board, traveling along with uh, some Starfleet orders to treat her as a full ambassador. Mm. So... Uh, she shows up in the transporter room, does a gag about her missing legs, shrieks about the Antedians being there because they're fishmen. They look like fishmen. Some real racist shit that you wouldn't expect out of an ambassador, basically. Yeah. Uh, she hits on Picard, and then she gets Riker to carry her heavy-ass suitcase. And uh, she invites Picard to a mandatory ambassadorial dinner. But it turns out that he's the only one she invited. Yeah, it's a trick. He shows up uh One to of those dinner. tricks that somebody, uh, maybe like a studio head would do these days. Or, maybe a little bit. <laughs> or, um, that's a rapey trick. One of those. I mean, she definitely has Picard uh, come to a meeting he can't turn down in her hotel room. Yeah. So, you know. He shows up with a bottle of uh, what looks like Romulan ale. And uh, Mr. Hom drinks it. It's a big gag. Just drinks the whole fucking bottle. Yeah. And uh, then there's Loxana Troy in her seduction gown. Gross. Um, Picard gets all nervous and virginal, like always, and he invites Data down to uh, be a third wheel. We know he fears all women. So yes. this one being particularly aggressive is probably and setting off all his alarms. This one has a, a real creepy sexuality, so it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Troy I think ex- he doesn't want to adopt Troy, I think is the main thing. <laughs> It could be. <laughs> he knows too much about her sex life. It just like it's too weird. It just doesn't go. It just doesn't work. Yeah, every time he'd have to. Every time Riker gave her some some fucking horny smiles, like he does in this episode, he'd have to be like, "That's my daughter." Yep. Yeah. So Troy explains to Pulaski, and then later she'll explain it to Picard also, that uh, her mom is going through a kind of betazoid menopause that makes her super horny. Right. And uh, Pulaski tells her the captain is uh, in her quarters alone now. And so Troy drops in and basically frees him and has a little argument with her mom. Hmm. Uh, Her mom makes it pretty clear she's here to pick up another husband. Which Troy describes as being her best option because I guess promiscuous sex is still frowned upon. I actually thought that the explanation for this was... 
so that she could focus all of this energy on one person and wasn't just spewing it out into the atmosphere disastrously. Oh, okay. So it was to save everybody. Yeah, it's not kind her own of, reputation. He's, Picard or whoever is the sacrificial animal in this case. <laughs> well, I, I definitely thought that was the case. But uh, yeah. I thought Troy was saying it was to protect her reputation because she, she'd have to hoard around pretty good. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. It's not clear, but she actually, Luxana Troy is pretty into her reputation, but I think she might like to have a reputation as kind of a, kind of a skank, so maybe who knows? Anyway, uh, uh, Troy and Riker and Picard have a little confab about it, uh, in which it turns out that, I mean, this doesn't matter, but I guess, uh, I guess Troy kind of told Riker half-truths about this when they were getting to know each other. Hmm. Um... Anyway, they decide that the best course of action is for Picard to just uh, kind of hide for the rest of the trip. <laughs> Which I mean, they're just—they're literally just taking ambassadors to another planet, so it's not like Picard needs to do anything. He doesn't have to talk to the Shelliac corporate or anything. No, thank God, because every time he the, plays sorry, Dixon Harada. Hill, every time he have to talk to the Harada. Every time he ta- goes and plays Dixon Hill, he's got a Harada speech. He's got to memorize. Well, that's his choice. He's going to go hide out in Klaxon. Our Klaxon. <laughs> Um, he's going to go hide out in his Dixon Hill. Hmm. Uh, although it takes him a while to like settle in and find something relaxing. Yeah. Cause he doesn't really want to be shot at. He just wants to hide, hide. He wants to hide quietly. It seems. Yeah. I don't know why he doesn't do his horseback riding. Yeah. He was so into that a couple weeks ago. Maybe like a nice Well, landscape. it's because they wanted to do Dixon Hill. Yeah, they did. So he eventually ends up taking his secretary out to, uh, Rex's bar hmm. Um, so they're having a little fun there, but, uh, Riker goes down to tell him that the Antedians have woken up and, uh, Loxana Troy, who has in the meantime decided she's going to marry Riker. Yep. Cause she can't find Picard. So he's out of the question. Yes. Yeah, she hasn't been able to find him in a few hours. So Riker's next. She follows Riker right on down into the holodeck and she's, uh, she's a little ticked off about the fact that they're hiding down there from her. <laughs> Just literally hiding from her. But luckily, the dumb 1940s bartender immediately starts hitting on her, and she's fucking into it, because she can't read this guy at all. She loves that. So he's intriguing. Makes you wonder what other fucking filthy shit she's into. Because, you know, that's what she wants out of a partner. The strong, silent type who maybe hits her. Right, exactly. Like Troy's dad. Like Troy's dad, yeah. right. Uh. Anyway... They, uh, Picard tears her away from the holodeck man so that they can all go to this conference and maybe get new members of the Federation. But, uh, you know, when they get down to the transporter room, uh, Luxana Troy's like, oh, these guys are assassins, by the way. Yeah, they, they're terrorists. They're like, um, suicide bombers or something. Yeah, they've got, uh, Ultrisium lined robes, so. Mm. Yeah. Fish. Fishman. I know that doesn't sound like a full episode. Yes, you're right, but that's that's how it happened. That's how I remember it. Yeah. All right. So, what's this one about? Are right, you ready for ready for some of this in yes. your ear? It's hard being an older divorcee. No. I mean, I wanted to say that's nothing, but I guess I don't want to approach this from only my point of view. So I'll award an extra point for all the older divorcees out there and give it two points. Because probably is hard. Yeah, well, especially if you have biological <laughs> super horniness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I feel... No fun. one's problem with her is that she's old. I feel good about two. 
<laughs> no one's problem with her is that she's divorced. Yeah, no, I know, fine. but you know, she's got to move on from Troy's dad. She keeps telling Troy over and over again, by the way, she's trying to replace her dad. It seems really yeah. cruel. It's not, uh, well, she's not the counselor. <laughs> Pretty clear. Hey, she's Pretty like, clear she doesn't have any training. She's like, hey, this guy's just as good as your dad was. Like, all the time. And Troy's just like, good God. Yeah, that's what I got, dude. I don't know. Did you think there was a take in here? Yeah, here's okay, my cool. take. All right. Here's my take. Uh, victims of sexual harassment are often <laughs> unable to defend themselves without risking their careers. <laughs> I wish that's what it was about. I wish they were trying to tell us that. That's certainly what it's about. <laughs> The the Picard has to play along because she's yes. an ambassador. They keep saying over and over again that she's an ambassador. It's important. So all he can do is hide from her. Well, that is actually... all he can do is not engage with her at all. Oh my he God. can't complain. Is this going to get a lot he of? He has points? to call Data down there. What's it worth? Oh, that's a six point Data. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, yes. That She's is a doing good bad sexual harassment, and none of them can do anything about it. She announces to the bridge that she and Riker are going to get married. Yeah. She literally has said four words to him in that episode. Yeah. That she has decided that. Wow. Okay. And he's going to let Picard deal with it, because she's a whole goddamn ambassador. I love that approach. <laughs> to me, that sounds like Plan J. If I oh, had yeah. I mean the plan to go lay on the road and wait for death. <laughs> That's my plan. <laughs> he's just like, oh, uh, she wants to marry me? No, I'll let Picard deal with it. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing to do with him, but I'm gonna let him deal with it. <laughs> Even though I'm the one getting married. Um, okay. Good. What's what? Uh, how did they execute on that take? And uh, Not in good. general. Okay. <laughs> so the whole thing is a joke, and that's a big problem. Yeah. Kind of. Also, she's got a medical condition that renders her too horny, and she openly discusses human beings and compares them to animals mm. over and over again. So, um,. But Even if this episode models sexual harassment, it doesn't have much to say about it. I gave it two points. Okay. Um, not only does she compare humans to animals, she also states several times that she prefers them to the other lesser species. So Yeah, don't by the way, don't worry about it because Troy and Pulaski are gonna get in on it too and say that animals are at their best uh when hunted or hunting. That's great. Yeah. Uh let's see. She does she super fetishizes human men. She really is like, you're such natural athletes, except for swimming. And it's, it's awful. Yeah. She's a very bad person, and we're supposed to think it's real funny. Yes, that is, I think, the main point. Kind of like the Tribbles episode. Pretty light all around yeah. in this one. How did you think they executed on your non-take well, about older divorcees? Like you said, she's an old divorcee with a syndrome. So that kind of, I mean... That makes it being back to not being about much. Um, it's about nothing except being light and funny. Otherwise, and aside from some racism and possible pedophilia, this episode was a lot of fun to watch. Oh, you mean because she's like mildly into Wesley? She's a, more than I think she's more than mildly into him. I mean, she would she wants to eat him alive I mean, for sure. She says it all out loud and everything. Yeah. It's not good. You shouldn't say things like that out loud unless you are. Really horny for a little bit. How did you like the part when she asked who's next and Mr. Home covered his eyes to indicate Jordan? I loved it so much. Okay. I thought it was really, really good. I said it was the funniest thing that's happened in this show so far. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, by the way, I gave him best actor. We'll cut to the chase. It's always Mr. Home. <laughs> when she says who's next and he badly, he badly parrots the visor by pushing his fingers across his eyes. I went, oh, that's really good. 
Um, anyway, so this episode was a lot of fun to watch, which I found really weird because I hated it so much as a kid. Yeah. And maybe well, it's, I didn't... there's too much sex. Yes. It's too much sex talk. I was going to say, I don't think I appreciated all the implied sex this lady wanted to do to my friends on the Enterprise. Yeah. I well, also the fact that they, it's clear that they don't want it. Yeah, I kept, I think I just said to the TV once, quietly, sullenly, leave well, them alone. Saying, she keeps saying out loud that Picard has nasty thoughts about her, and yeah. he can't defend himself. No, that's the thing. Everyone knows she can read minds. It's really not fair. Yeah. It's not fair. All, like, all he could do is say, <laughs> she's joking. She's, she's just kidding, guys. She's fucking with me because she wants to hate fuck me? I don't know. Uh, anyway, I thought it was, um... I thought it was a four for sheer entertainment value. <laughs> Listen, I'm with you. This was a pretty entertaining episode. It's just, uh... It wasn't good. It's just also kind of trash. <laughs> it was not a good episode at all. Uh, ben has a two for the take, and his take is, women, what can you do? So I'm not sure he got much out of it. No. And then uh, execution, five. Oh, okay. He says, this is like the anti-tribble. It's, it's grown-up humor that totally misses and instead nauseates. <laughs> five he says he forgot, he forgot his notes, but basically this one is yucky. <laughs> and some funny moments, but mostly they're a little chauvinistic. It's all true. <clears throat> He gives it a three for world building, just to swing into that, saying Betazoids go into heat. Gross. The fish dudes are nefarious. Well, these two were for sure. Um, what are you? Where are you on world building here? And TD3. The mission is to go to Pacifica so these old fish boys can join the Federation. No real background on what else has to happen. I don't think it's just take a trip to Pacifica and you win entrance into the Federation. But... No, it, again, it, I got the feeling that the, the race had been invited to join the Federation and that maybe they were going to go talk terms or something. But like, yeah, it's just taking these two. Are there other guys there? What happens to this race now that these guys were assassins? They could Does not Picard have, go back and pick up two more? They could not have cared less about this plot. <laughs> they really couldn't. Which is a shame because it, it could have been interesting. The, the Antedians go catatonic when traveling through space because uh, it's painful for them. Uh, Picard acts like he knew that, but he still made everyone come down and watch as they beamed on board. And greeted them out loud. What's wrong with him? <laughs> did He He didn't and, really know it, did he? And then when everyone's like, what are they doing? He's like, oh, this is how they travel. <laughs> it's like, he clearly didn't know. He made Wesley come and watch. Oh, Wesley, Fucking I think O'Brien? you're really going to enjoy this. O'Brien could have done a transporter, uh-oh. I know. And those old dudes, like, they're dead. They're just standing up, but they're dead. But Picard couldn't risk like, looking oh, this like is an how idiot. They, this is how they do. Right, he couldn't risk looking like an idiot and like, looking at O'Brien's panel to make sure nothing had gone whoopsie. <laughs> yep. Um, Picard thinks more ambiance, less substance, is a thing this computer is capable of parsing. Uh, what happens well, Riker is... told it sultry earlier, <laughs> so... And what happens is fucking, uh, what's his name, Gowron shows up when he says yeah. that. I don't think, when I think ambiance, I don't think of that guy's crazy eyes. No, when he, he's in the shadows for the first part of that, and he's doing like a weird old gangster voice or whatever. So I didn't realize who it was until he turns into the light and you see his crazy old peepers. He went, yeah. Oh, that's Galron. Doesn't help, by the way, that he's wearing a hat that covers the part of his face that is made up to be a Klingon. Yeah. So it's like, that's he could have Galron. his whole crest on under there, and he'd still look 90% the same. Yeah. Um, Especially because Gowron is pretty pale for a Klingon. I guess that's a good point. I guess he is. 
He's pretty light. Um, why are the writers introducing suicide bombing terrorists into this story? How come no exploration of the issues that have caused these Antedians to become so hateful of the Federation that they would try to blow up all of the delegates and kill themselves in the process? Yeah. For real. Uh, all tritium explosives, it's a two. It's a two because they introduce terrorists. They did bad. as we will get into, they catch the terrorists. As they are being led out of the room, Troy is smiling at her mom and saying goodbye to her. No one even leaves the room. No one makes a reaction. Like, what? They're terrorists? No one even cared. Nope. Yeah, uh, I was a three here. So, standard world building for me. We have um, aliens who hate space travel and have developed some kind of adaptation. They must have had another reason for doing this, right? (laughs) They won't get catatonic. They didn't evolve to do this because they just don't like space travel. I think these guys went catatonic because they didn't want to talk to anyone and get found out because they were terrorists. Yeah, it's a good excuse. Uh, All about the Pacifica and joining the Federation, the phase. Oh yeah, I didn't actually say anything about that in my world building. Okay, that's actually kind of a that's a point. Yeah, I mean Betazoids we're gonna keep seeing. Yeah, that's okay. I'll give it a three. Um. Okay. Uh, Enterprise appears to have no security plan to stop suicide bombers. Mm. Uh, Worf is just gonna walk these old boys down to deck five with their explosive robes on, <laughs> and then maybe make them change. I don't know. Like they've been found out, and Worf's like, "I'll point my phaser at you." And then slowly walks them out of the room while no one else moves a muscle. The the only thing I could think of was that we were not supposed to believe that they were suicide bombers and that they were just smuggling the explosive in their robes. Like they were just going to take the robes off and blow them up? No, I mean, like, they were just going to take it, like, it's maybe it's sewn in there. Oh, and they I, were just going to fucking take it out, and then... I definitely got the feeling, the way she said it, that it was like... They're changing into some different fish robes and just use their robes as a bomb or whatever, right? Yeah. But, like... They certainly did not act like these guys were willing to blow themselves up because I think taking out the Federation flagship would have been something. probably be worth something to them, right? Yeah. Like, okay, we didn't get the conference, so we didn't get. I mean, we only we got one ambassador. I can't get over how wild it was that that is introduced in the final scene. It's it, just like it's been such a light episode, and then they're like, "Oh no, these boys are—they're uh, going to try to murder everyone on that planet." It is as if the take of this episode was the take that Ben gave to Tribbles, <laughs> which is even the most useless thing has its uses. <laughs> which is Luxana Troy has been just a fucking nightmare this whole episode. But then she but saved their butts. She did read these old dudes' minds and figure out they were assassins. So yeah, yep. Anyway, three for me. Characterization. Um... I gave seven points. Whoa. I think the characterization in this episode is basically on target. Okay. Riker is amused until he's not, but he seems very Riker-like. Yeah. We get to see Picard's fun, awkward self calling Data down there and all of that nonsense. Yep. Uh, Worf teaches Wesley about bigotry. Yeah. Doesn't seem like anyone's really learned that lesson. In the 24th century. I mean, it really does not. Well, but they say in this one that it's the last remaining human prejudice. Is yeah, but they judging love people it. by how they look. I mean, does Data also mention that he's heard like 95 insults like that in just today? Yeah. Because I there's guess. a lot in this episode. Well, it's a remaining prejudice. <laughs> That's right. Still got some work to do there. 
And then Loxana is obviously the pits, but she's supposed to be. Yeah. All right. I give it a six. <laughs> I was almost right there with you. Uh, I liked Worf's admiration of the frozen Antedians. Yep. Um, which is really his only role in this episode, to stand there. And look it's like him. when he likes to owe on eggs, but it it's more of it and it's better. Yeah. Um, he makes Wesley admit that he thinks Worf's head is gross. Yep. So that's cool. And by the way, he seems a little disappointed. Yep. <laughs> is this what you thought of me? No, to be honest, <laughs> kind of. Your head's fucking gross. But now I've seen other Klingons. Then I think you're actually kind of handsome for a Klingon. It gets and Worf's just got to go like. <sighs> yeah, my next point is Wesley's a racist, and Riker doesn't mind. Nah. Uh, Worf does though. Wesley can't stop stepping in it in this episode. Everything no. He says. First, they're sounding off on the bridge about locks on a Troy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Troy once again can feel her mother's presence just as she answer- enters sensor range. But she fucking hates it. Is her range the same as Enterprise's sensors? That would be a wild coincidence, but it would help explain a lot. I mean, it feels like it's kind of the same order of magnitude, but also maybe the ship just dropped out of warp there. Yeah, maybe they just beamed in. Um, Troy eventually declares Riker off-limits to her mother. Then she's mad at Riker for not shooting her mom down more forcefully and calls him a coward. Luoxana is still... Not deluded... She knows Picard's not into her, right? She's got her, right? But she thinks she can just sort of make it happen, I think. Yeah, she still likes playing this game, I guess. Uh, she's also a racist, and again, a pedophile to top it off. She's a huge racist. She's the most racist of anyone in this episode, which is Nearly hard. everything she says in this one is racist. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, it, don't forget later she's going to call Worf Mr. Wolf. Though it's also clear by the time she's on the bridge with Riker that she's actually lost her mind. Seems like Because she just announces, again, without any kind of discussion, that she's going to marry Riker, and she seems like she thinks it's real. I mean, she's in the grip of mega-hormones, but, like, no one says, maybe she shouldn't be an ambassador right now. <laughs> just right now. Just for now. Like, uh, shouldn't Picard and uh, Pulaski have some special questions that they ask her, and yes. then she knows the canned response to them? They can tell us this is the protocol they always have to use when they question an ambassador for their fitness, just like in TOS. And then maybe she'll respect them for asking the questions, and they can still be buddies afterward. Um, Riker does not hide his disdain after he puts down her luggage. I guess no. I wouldn't bother either, since she's purposely ignoring everything people say to her. Yes. So, why even bother pretending? Uh, Riker talking shit with the boys of Deck One. Uh, that's on their biker jackets that they had custom made. And then turning around and looking uh, at First them, of all, can we get some made? The boys of Deck One? Hell yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> then turning around and looking at them like they fucked up was pretty rich. It was. He walks all the way over to Picard like, what? what's the matter? <laughs> And then when Picard says they're talking about an ambassador, he turns around and looks at him like, you, you get guys. this, idiots? <laughs> you fucking assholes. Clean I up wasn't laughing eyes. with you. He's the one fucking holding court. Uh, this is a good Riker episode in general. He gives the let's fuck face to Troy when she said she didn't tell him how horny old Betazoids could get because she didn't yep. want to frighten him. It's like he gives her that big, wide, we need to have sex now smile. By the way, this is why he doesn't leave the Enterprise, right? Because he's just waiting for the fucking phase to kick in. That's right. <laughs> Sooner or later. Then he heartily congratulates Picard for his impending nuptials with Troy's mom. I thought for a second when he's staring at Rex that Riker was going to go, Who the fuck is this? 
Because he's your new friend? He stares him down. And it was so weird. I was like, why does he hate Rex? Um, Pulaski thinks Picard uh, invited her to dinner when he was obviously asking if she was going to an event with an earlier invite. Yep. If I were Picard, her dumb response would have bothered me the rest of the day. I know, I would have been thinking about it too. Why did she say I've already eaten? All day, I would have been going, I mean, it's obvious I wasn't inviting her to dinner. I asked if she was going to the same dinner as me. I didn't I didn't say, hey, would you like to come to dinner? I was in my dress uniform. I said, <laughs> I had a bottle in, your, in my hand. Why aren't you coming to dinner? Yeah, aren't you coming to dinner uniform? with the rest of us? I was carrying a bottle of Romulan ale. I wasn't Jesus saying, Christ. hey, uh, I don't know if you're busy. I was just thinking. Hey, I got all dressed up and grabped a <laughs> bottle of wine and just started wandering the I'd corridors. I figured I'd someone I want to have dinner with in the corridor. <laughs> like, seriously, it bothered me the rest of the episode. And I'm not even <laughs> in the show. You're like, how could she have fought? I, I would have that would have ruined me in that show. Um, I think Mister Holm is the first guy that we've seen Picard be afraid of when he drinks that whole bottle of whatever juice. I mean, yep. aside from six hours in the future, Picard, who gives him great fright. That is true. That guy messed him up. But he looks at Mister Holm like, "What is this monster?" Uh, then he brings in the cooler. You need to stop a nasty old grenade in her tracks. Bring in the Brazilian. <laughs> That's right. That's what you got to do. <laughs> Uh, Picard is amazed that anybody would accuse him of wanting sex. He fears <laughs> every woman, and everybody knows it. But then he uses the holodeck the same way everybody does later in the episode, which is to uh, uh, get wet with the fake receptionist. <laughs> he does seem into it. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, Pulaski thinks she can get revenge on uh, cold-blooded murderer Jean-Luc Picard by trying to convince Troy to leave him locked up with her mom. Um, I had fun with all these folks today, but all the casual racism kept the score down to a six for me. Yeah, it's a little bit tough. Yeah. Um, Ben's a four on characterization, saying Picard is adept at getting out of sexual encounters. Finally, Data's boringness is put to use. Everyone wants to get out of Luxana's clutches, but I don't know, maybe someone likes that type of woman. She well, still reminds me of my grandma, which is super off-putting. And yeah, the sexualization is just weird for me. And then he says, my dad's mom, Judah. Yeah, Judah. Not his mom's mom. I don't. <laughs> maybe you, oh, I have, don't you met, have you met his dad's mom? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was just I, clarifying which one. And maybe you've yeah, met her, so. I guess so. I don't know. I guess maybe it's important. Maybe he thought I was going to ask which grandmother. Yeah. Because you know how everybody has one hot grandmother? and <laughs> Which one? What's the deal? Which one of your grandmas is horny? Is it the hot one? Hey. No, and he's, hey I think he's saying that um, let me because she reminds grandma. him of his grandma, he doesn't like it. Let me holler at your grandma. <laughs> ben. His only quick hitters are, oh, it's the fish guys. I never remember where they're from. Yeah, it's because they're not in this episode. No, they're not in it, and they're never in any of the other ones. It's not, I mean, it's not a B-plot. The B-plot is Dixon Hill. By the way, not clear if just, because nothing's clear about this, if it's just these Antedians who hate the Federation, or if the Antedians hate the Federation. Yeah, no. Not nothing's clear, clear about the Antedians at all. Nope. Nothing. Matthew, I know you got quick hitters. <clears throat> I got some. I got some. Um, The thing where Picard makes everyone go down and get dressed up and see these fish guys beam up, and then they're totally frozen, feels like a precursor to some great 90s and 2000s cringe TV moments. Yeah, like where's the curved music in the background when they turn out to be totally frozen, and somebody That's missed something point. important to come down there. Um, 
were they wearing dress uniforms when the Antedians showed up, or just for Luxana? I know they were, because then he says everyone has to put their dress uniforms back on. It's so aggravating <laughs> that they had to wear them twice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Frankly, they don't seem... They seem like they'd be more comfortable than the regular uniforms. Like, mm. I bet those tights are pretty lightweight, and then, like, the uh, the top is way blousier than the normal spandex shit. Yeah, I just wonder if they're... Sitting down, I think, would be weird in them. Yeah, I wonder if they're Because you're, like, sitting on all of that. Just wearing the the skirty aspects of it. Um, Special guest Mick Fleetwood always makes me laugh. I as one of the fishmen. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't even like definitely not the voice of the one who talks. This is an outrage. <laughs> the real Admiral Akbar. Yeah, that's what they were going for. Uh, again, Riker carrying the suitcase is me and uh, Marjan's friend's giant ass luggage. <laughs> Actual thing that happened to me. I've talked about it before on this podcast when Rike, when Picard had to carry the luggage last time. When I went downstairs, I was like, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'll get in. She's like, I don't know. It's pretty heavy. I was like, don't worry about it. And I had a moment like Riker where I start to lift it and go, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> By the way. What's in uh, here? Riker's usually so on the ball, but he completely missed Picard <laughs> deferring yes, not to Mr. Home. He's like, nah, this is... Uh, I, I, would, I would never deprive Mr. Home of the joy of doing his duty. And Riker's like, fuck it, I'll do it. <laughs> and then he has the same fucking problem. Why don't they just beam that shit to the quarters? Yeah. Uh, um, dude, I'd never be in the same room with this old bitty. Reading my mind, but doing it really badly and announcing the shit I'm not even feeling to the whole room. She's not cool about it. Fuck. It's like, maybe if you get like a horny thought and just like Troy's in the room, she's not going to put you on blast. Yeah, so I'm going to be like, this guy over here's thinking about dicks. <laughs> that guy got real horny. <laughs> like, what a bitch. Fuck this lady. <laughs> But Loxana Troy can't be cool about it at all. Wow, she sucks in a major she's way. Mouthy. Dialogue monster during a Troy walk and talk? That is classic. Condition at this time. That is what Pulaski says back to her when she says, I haven't told you about my mom's condition at this time. <laughs> and condition at this time? Condition at this time. Yeah, thanks, Yoda. That's what I said. <laughs> You'd obviously just say, condition or what condition? But no. Or, I'm the doctor, is there something I should know about? Yeah. Condition at this time? Uh, imagine if Dixon Hill was, like, old school Animal Crossing. If the town just kept going, and then when he came back after a oh, year... hella weeds and everyone wants to know what's going on. Yeah, roaches are everywhere, and everyone hates his guts. Just people all day talking about how they were moving to a new town, where people show up and garden on a regular basis. But no, everyone just acts like it's been a day or whatever. Uh, did everyone in San Francisco talk like Chicago gangsters in yeah. in the 40s? It's the real problem with Dixon Hill, right? Is that it's set in San Francisco, but everyone sounds like uh, Elliot Ness for some reason. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, gangster uh, gangster Gowron. Um, again, Mr. Holm feebly aping Jordy's visor is the comedy moment of the series so far. I feel bad for Troy. Sometimes in HD, you can see her actively sucking her gut in because of that jumpsuit. <laughs> yep. And I always feel bad. Like, and you why know, can't they just put her in a uniform? Yes, you know it was not her decision I to know. wear that. It's like... You know creepy old Rick Berman was like, push the tits up more. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't fault her when she's trying to suck it in. I'm not like, look at that fatty. I'm like, come on, can we just... Can you, can you just put her in some clothes? Some regular clothes? 
No, it's like, someone was like, well, Pulaski's too old to be sexy, so we can invent a special uniform for her that's not tight. Yeah. But, uh... But no, you gotta w- keep wearing the low-cut What top? if we basically put her in a leotard? You gotta wear the leotard when your boobs are all pushed up. That's how it works in this business. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like your mom in the show. I'm Roxana <laughs> Troy in real life. And I'm also a Chicago gangster. <laughs> Um, it's a uh, me, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> it's me, Gene. It's me, Gene. And all I want to do is see your tits. Show me your tits, sweetheart. Um, uh, they used to call this show "Tits in Space." They, they don't let you call it that no more. No, he's becoming Carl. As this <laughs> goes turn on, turn into Carl <laughs> from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Uh, what is a haircut, Lipinski? And what does it mean to land on a fraction? Hey, I don't know either. Don't all know. of the dialogue in Dixon Hill seems like they just made it up. Yep. Um, they must have turned off the setting that they used to have where people make fun of your clothes in the holodeck because nobody <laughs> yes. mentions Riker's weird jumpsuit. That's right. Riker shows up in his crazy outfit, but uh, no one no says, one says what are you, a bellhop or whatever the going insult is. But Data still felt the need to go get dressed up and so did Picard. Data made Riker wait five minutes. Yeah. Riker would have been out of the holodeck. If Data hadn't done that, and Loxana Troy would never have figured out what was happening. Well, the real problem is they get there and they're about to leave, and Rex is like, Nah, 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 stay a while! Got time for a drink, and Riker's like, yeah, fuck it, we're at the conference, but fuck it. We do. We do have time for a drink. Uh, Troy almost falls down walking out of the Trobo lift in that last scene before the Antedians are exposed. I did see that. I guess they only do one take. Okay, we already talked about it, but I was so blown away in the moment. Not only are we not going to explore the terrorists on Pacifica, but no one even looks mildly disturbed in the room where they are exposed out of nowhere. Troy just smiles and hugs her mom, and then they have some fun banter and she beams away, like, as the terrorists are being let out of the room. Yes, she gets the longest transporter cycle we've ever seen, so she can take one more shot at Picard about having nasty ideas. Because it's one of those episodes, again, where you can talk during the transport. Yep. Yeah, that's all I had. Plenty. Uh, what a handsome race. Yeah, of course. Troy is like irrationally mad at her mom for showing up. Well, like she loses it right away. Yeah, she does hate it, but to be fair, it turns out to be kind of bad. Yeah, but like, did she know that her mom was going through the phase? Did has her mom been sending her like a bunch of horny voicemails and shit? And she's like, my mom just keeps talking about men that I'm she's fucking sees on somebody the way hotter than your dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Data is telling a story about how impressive it was that he did a good navigation, mm. but what he specifically says was that he used the square root of pi and multiplied it times I, nine I, to the third power. I, I knew you were gonna do this. <laughs> As soon as I heard him say it, I went, oh, God, that's nothing, and Judah's going to say it's nothing. I was just like, how is that impressive? Yeah, he came up with a number. He knows how to multiply and do, like... It's like about 1,200. And do, like, exponents, and he can do all the good. He can do all the PEMDAS. He can do all of it. That was all they could fucking think of. Like, uh, Data should say that he did something impressive. Oh, what if he used the square root of pi and multiplied it by nine to the third power? um, They didn't have their Uh, By the way, nine to the third power is crazier to say than just 729. (laughs) It's not like it's even a big number. They didn't have their science consultant or whatever around. They just wrote that one. Uh, I don't think anyone has ever said the Gitas to mean money. (laughs) No. He, the landlord called. He wants the Gitas, or you're out. Yeah, and Picard the very rationally went, 
I don't know what that's what are you talking about. Uh, I know this is a uh, film noir. I know Dixon Hill is film noir, but whenever I hear the 1940s music, I think of Fallout. Yeah. And then it just makes me want to play Fallout. <laughs> Isn't there another one of those coming in like 10 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fallout 76 is about to come out. Oh, it's about to? Yeah, real soon. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought when we... It's because it uses the Fallout 4 engine, right? Oh, so it's like... Oh, good. It's like the San Andreas or the Vice City of Fallout okay, 4. Okay, I don't want to get sidetracked because it's a Star Trek episode, but when we <clears throat> talked about it the last time... But uh, it's not going to have a good big first-person experience. It's kind of like a multiplayer game. Oh, all right, I'll have to learn more. Anyway. So it's, they're not going to run into that cool robot who wants you to do missions or anything like that. Oh, all right. It's kind of like build settlements and do stuff. I loved Captain Ironsides. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, Gowron. And then, uh, like you, I said, man, this thing just wraps up, huh? Oh, yeah. She's just like, oh, there's terrorists. And then, well, got to go. And it goes nowhere, so D- Down to this bother? conference, which is obviously still happening. How does the episode change if you just beam them down there and they're regular delegates? Oh, it doesn't at all. It doesn't Except at that Loxana Troy didn't do anything useful while she was on the ship, and she was just a pest. So that's it. That's to redeem her for being so terrible. Yes. Is it because, and by the way, not because she has a good personality or she's hardworking. Nope. She just has telepathy. She has telepathy and will use it at will. She does not respect anyone's individual thoughts or anything. Yeah. She's just like, I'm in your brain. <sighs> all right. I give best actor to Mr. Hom for life and oh, yeah. uh, worst actor to the fat guy with the gun. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the one in the Dixon Hill story, yes. Yeah. You, you want to you play cute? Well, that's Jake with Sorry. me. I believe what he was playing was Ketis, a Dixon Hill story. <laughs> I believe that was what that was called. Yes. <clears throat> Sorry, is it Ketis or is it Anthony Ketis? I've already forgotten. <laughs> you know, the subtitle spelled it G-E-E-T-U-S. Okay. And I just said, that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ben had no. I already said Ben's quick hitters for this. Okay. Four down, one to go. All right, let's do it. We're, looks like we're going to come in a little short this week. Don't. Probably because we didn't like some of these episodes. Don't jinx it. Uh, DS9 won the week last week. Hmm. They're on a two-win streak, in fact. Okay. This week we watched Tribunal. O'Brien's about to go on vacation, but he just can't leave the station in anyone's hands because it's his baby or whatever. But everyone wants him to just get out of their hair and stop giving him instructions about what needs to be fixed and what he put whatever file into. And eventually they get him to leave ops and go get in the runabout with Keiko and go on their gross sex vacation or whatever's supposed to happen. Uh, he runs into an old buddy of his from the Rutledge. We haven't covered that in this project yet, but that was the ship he was on during the old Cardassian War. Yep. Uh, this guy, Boone, he runs into. And they catch up real quick, because uh, Keiko hates waiting for that Irish dick, so he's got to run off to that runabout, so they can do it to some kabuki music or whatever. <laughs> anyway... It is a racist mess, right? It's a terrible, terrible thing that happens on that runabout. Oh, I pissed her off. I pissed her off by being a shitty husband. Play some real... Play some of that Jap music that she likes. What's that real nip music? 
You know the one. Play that one. It's real terrible stuff. It's horrible. It's a real disaster. Anyway, they get on the run about he won't stop looking at his technical manuals, and that pissed her off, so he played the music. It's like, do you know how I liked in The Naked Now when Sulu is, like, doing three musketeers and everyone's like, yeah, that's Sulu. He's a swashbuckler at Mm -hmm. heart. And it's like, oh, they didn't do a karate. Yes, they could have. It wasn't a karate. Him, or they could have made him a samurai right. or whatever. Yeah. But that, no, because he's a real person, his interests aren't necessarily related to his ancestry. Yeah. Not, not, well, not DS9. No, not Keiko. Now, they made the show 30 years later, but they hadn't moved on at all. No. Uh, I forgot to mention Boone. Uh, they they tell us right away that he's a bad guy. He, uh, he done recorded O'Brien's voice, and he's going to use it for some kind of nefarious purpose. Yep. Anyway. Uh, as they're starting to get down to that old kabuki music, uh, Golovec shows up. He's getting a lot of play these days. Yvek is, he's getting pushed. They're pushing Yvek. He shows up and he demands to be, uh, let on the runabout. He's gonna, I don't know, search him or something. But when he gets there, he just says, hey, O'Brien, uh, you're under arrest. O'Brien tries to resist and gets stunned. And then, um, they take O'Brien and leave Keiko. We get to see O'Brien getting processed. Um, they like take his teeth and his clothes, and I don't know. They probably yell at him. Yell at him. They a take a little bit. piece of his hair, but like not the part that's got the DNA in it. So it doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> frankly. Right. What are they gonna do with that hair? They didn't get the roots. <laughs> They're just gonna laugh at it. He's got the devil's curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> don't you, O'Brien? His hair is <laughs> yellow. <laughs> <laughs> It's not black like all of ours. Uh, so anyway, he's getting roughed up a bit. Back on the station, um, Keiko's explaining what the hell's going on, and uh, they get a call from this Archon, head chief Archon. I don't know what her title is. Uh, she's already met O'Brien at this point. She's a, she's going to be the judge of his stupid trial. or Prosecutor and judge. Kind of like the Klingon one. Anyway. Uh, she calls Cisco and uh, lets him know, "Hey, I got, I got your boy. His trial's in a couple of days. We never reveal what the charges are before the trial, but you're free to come and hang out. Uh, the family's allowed to come, so Keiko can come." Uh, Odo just wants to butt in, I think, and show that he knows things. So he tells him all about how he uh, is a, a officer of the court, and he is. You can find his uh, fucking qualifications if you look in your computer. So she, like, probably has to go through some spreadsheets. Anyway, she finds out that Odo is... I think she just is like, fine. I don't care. I don't think yeah. she wants to look it up. Uh, Odo's going to be uh, O'Brien's Nestor, or his uh, advisor, uh, in the trial. So Odo and Keiko are going to go to Cardassia right away so they can be there in time for his sham trial, where they've already declared him guilty and that the, cri- and that the sentence will be execution. Um... O'Brien meets his defense. It's not, by the way, it's not even that this trial is particularly a sham trial. This oh, is yeah. how Cardassian trials work. Yes, all trials. I think we've heard this before from Ducat, but all the trials, <clears throat> the verdict is decided ahead of time. And uh, the trial is just, uh, I don't know, to explain all the facts and make people feel good that uh, they caught the bad guy or whatever. Cause apparently, well, it's literally theater. Apparently they play court TV on like Cardassian uh, Times Square, Jumbotrons. Yep. It's just court TV all day. Um, that's what that was, right? They must have, like, you must be like, you go outside and you look <laughs> up and you're like, ah, Jesus, it's an intellectual property dispute. <laughs> this is not a good one. 
stop uh, showing no, me this. fucking custody hearing. These always bum me out. And I can't avoid it. It's on every Jumbotron. Um. Anyway, O'Brien meets his defense attorney guy who tells, all, tells O'Brien all this stuff about the rules of the trial and how it's all just going to be a sham to make everybody feel better. And uh, this guy's never won a case, but uh, that's not the point, right? He Winning's looks like, but isn't Herman Monster. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of um, a sickly gray Cardassian. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back on the station, they are running an investigation to find out if O'Brien did something, because I think they all believe he could have done something. Yep, they are they immediately this is a real wolf in the fold where they're all like, yeah, but he might have you know, Cardassian banged his head once and so Yep. Um that's psychological damage it causes him to hate all Cardassians. <laughs> Not only did you trail off, you got far away from the mic, so it was a good effect. Um So they find out first that some torpedoes are missing, that's not good. Uh, that they had been uh, surreptitiously beamed out and replaced with some uh, metal that weighed the same amount or had the same mass or whatever. That's all it takes to fool the fucking sensors. Pretty easy. Torpedoes otherwise are just like metal. Pretty pretty easy. They're pretty high tech, but they don't put like a fucking transponder or anything in there. It's no, just why would you... So the sensor's just like, ah, it's 50 pounds of metal. Why would you want to track your heavy ordnance? No reason for that. Um, so they're like, oh, that's not good. Uh, they immediately suspect that it's a Maquis thing. Uh, because they uh, there was a Maquis ship that was... Uh, did a did a raid and stole some photon launchers recently, but no warheads. Anyway, so they're like, "Oh fuck, our boy stole some torpedoes. That's not good." Boy, I guess we should keep looking. So they start to find out who has been on the station lately, who might be a Maquis. So they're looking at people from the uh, demilitarized zone. I guess Kira sent off to do that part. Uh, Dax eventually figures out that. Uh, while O'Brien's voice was used to gain access to the weapons area, uh, it was just somebody piecing together his words from recordings, so now they know he's been set up. And then when Kira figures out that this guy Boone was the only guy who matches the the criteria they were looking for of being from the demilitarized zone and being on the station recently, they haven't picked up. Meanwhile, uh, Odo has gotten there, and he's talking to O'Brien about... Um, I don't know, give him a stiff upper lip. I mean, he doesn't have any good advice other than that, right? Yeah, there's really not much he can do. He's like, hey, uh, you know, don't give them what they want. Just act, like, uh, tough. It's like, I'll I'll be there in court, at least, while they, the whole sham trial happens. Yeah. Uh, so they get into the trial, and Odo keeps trying to do objections and, and legal things, and the, ladies, the lady Archon is super pissed at him for ruining their beautiful trial that they're putting on court TV. Yeah, he's really making a mess of this thing. The defense attorney is is really losing his fucking shit. By the way, at one point when he goes, You flatter me, sir! You flatter me! I really started to like that guy a lot. Yep. Um, the dude's... By the way... He's a year uh, from retirement, this dude. He's a year from retirement. <laughs> like, they really... They went for They it. really uh, take a tour of cliches with this guy, but... <laughs> yeah. uh, he is a great old country lawyer. <laughs> um, anyway, Yoda's making a real mess of their trial by trying to actually prove O'Brien's innocence. Uh, back on the station, they interrogate Boone. He's not giving him anything. Uh, a weird shadowy figure walks into Bashir's office. He turns out the lights, and then he tells Bashir not to turn around. I'm, it's not clear what would have happened if Bashir had turned around. I don't he would have seen gonna, the shadow. I don't think he was going to shoot him. 
So would he have done like a real, would it have been like if he was playing extreme ding-dong ditch, would he have just slowly run away? <laughs> Probably. Well, I'm, I'm uh, sorry, that's watch. your version of ding-dong ditch where you wait at the door until they open it before you run away? Yes, an extreme ding-dong ditch played in my days as a ruffian. Um, you would have to wait, you couldn't leave until the person answered the door, and we purposely picked homes that had really difficult exits. So that you'd have to run down a long walkway because there was only a small gate where you could get in or out. If the place was overgrown with ivy, it was like extra points. The harder it was to get away, the more points you got in Extreme Ding Dong Ditch. Um, so I was just saying, like, what would that guy have done? Just just try to run away, right? Yeah, there was really nothing he could, like, I, oh, you did see me. Anyway, that guy says, uh, hey, he's not one of us. And Bashir's like, oh, you mean a Maquis? And he's like, yeah. I mean, I guess you already know who I am. Yeah, I'm a Maquis. I guess I guess telling I guess telling you he's not one of us only makes sense if we admit who we are. Yeah, <laughs> yes, damn it. Okay. Yes, I am a Maki and no. I should have led with that. I should have said he's not Maki. Yeah, he's not one of us, uh, but I'm also going to say it a number of times so you really get the feeling that something else is happening. He's not man, one of I, us. I should have just told you who I thought he was instead of I think of, he's oh, a great spy. Uh anyway, they uh, do a uh, test on him and I guess determine he's some kind of cardi spy because he disappeared eight years ago and he after set like three and had cut off all contact with everybody and everything he'd uh was he a cardi in disguise or was he just turned by the cardies is it clear I believe the idea is that he uh was replaced okay so he's one of them Seska cardies and maybe that's why his face doesn't look quite like human skin <laughs> oh right okay yeah I forgot about that <laughs> He's a, a weird-looking dude. He was. He did look like a dude wearing a gross mask. He looks like Duncan Regeer in a weird mask. Don't you ever say that that guy looks anything like Duncan Regeer in any situation. Take it back. I take it back. All right. Anyway, they figure out he's a dang old sleeper agent. Then a baffling situation happens where Cisco shows up with the guy and they walk into the courtroom. And then the lady sees him, the lady Archon, and she goes... Uh, and I guess she knows who he fucking is. Uh, well, uh, you know, we've definitely found him guilty, but because we're feeling really nice, we're going to let him go. We're going to give him back. So, set aside the verdict. You're free to go. has been Court TV. Have a good evening. Keep keep watching. And then... They uh, probably... It doesn't, they don't go into it, but they probably did like 10 public executions next week, right? Like, <laughs> they got to make up for what happened there, for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then uh, O'Brien gets to go back on vacation, and he doesn't even have any tech manuals, so now he can do all the nasty fucking that Keiko wants. He's going to have to slip her a digit or something now. Yep, it's going to be gross. So, uh, yet another law and trial episode. What was this thing? Show trials are bad, and the presumption of innocence can never be allowed to fail. I mean, it's five points. There's nothing wrong with the take. And of all of the three times we've seen a corrupt justice system, this was the only one that was about the corrupt justice system. <laughs> yep, that's kind of true. In uh, Voyager, it's just like a throwaway that the justice system is totally corrupt. And Jane was like, I know, it's one of these. Another one, another one of these alien justice systems. And then the Klingon one. My take was about the, the justice system. The corrupt justice system is a metaphor or is an example of how the society has fallen, and right. it's really about one guy doing what's right. Whereas in this one, they just get caught being sh- being shady, and they have to give O'Brien back for political reasons, but there's no reason to think that anything's going to change. So it's right. like, this is the one about how bad it is. 
how good our good, good protections and rights are and how bad it would be if we didn't have them. I agree both uh, that it is a five and that that's what it is. I have the right to a fair and impartial defense is like super cool. Yeah. How do you think they executed on it? Okay, so this is another one of these super rushed endings. Yes. Where Cisco just shows up out of the blue and the trial is complete. No explanation on how that happened and what happens next. No discussion of what will happen with the Cardassian law. If there will be any changes, relations with the Federation as a result of this. Why they were targeting specifically O'Brien in the first place. It's a very yeah, it's really odd hand-waved what they were even trying to accomplish here. Yeah, like, what, what was this? What was this whole thing? They're trying to pin this on the Maquis and also show that Starfleet is complicit and use it as leverage to try and get those colonies kicked off of their planets, right? Like, yes. But, like, those colonies are already not Federation. Yeah. It's like a... <laughs> what do you want? What's <laughs> you want the plan? The, you want a beager? I feel like I have to say this in every episode. Um, some weird tonal stuff in this episode. Deadly serious when O'Brien is captured, but very silly before that when he's headed for vacation and everyone wants him out of their hair, and also afterward in the courtroom scenes with this frustrated lawyer. It's almost like each act was written by a different person. Yeah, or it's almost as if the um, director, whose first time it was, didn't do a real good job. Uh Oh, who was the director? Avery Brooks. No! Siska! What you doing? Probably would have been better to leave it a mystery for the whole episode, what the hell happened, rather than show Boone in the teaser, like, recording his voice. Yeah, that wasn't helpful. Maybe they felt I mean, but then you would have been like, well, because then they would have called Boone in halfway through anyway, so I don't know. Maybe they felt they couldn't play the same trick they did in that episode with the two O'Briens. Where the one yeah. O'Brien gets eats it at the end, and that's when we find out there's two O'Briens. <laughs> That was shitty. <laughs> I feel like maybe they um, maybe they feel like they couldn't play that trick again where you find out everything. I can't else. believe they did it once. <laughs> it wasn't O'Brien all along. Also, we're all just going to like have our conversation over his dying body. I mean, I actually think that we scored that episode pretty favorably, I but liked, still. I liked, the fa- I liked the surprise, because if I was watching that for the first time, I would have been like, oh, oh, okay. In this case, they're just oh, it's like... it's wild, yeah. They show you the guy in the first scene going, I got his voice. Uh, it was a three for me. Yeah, it's a three for me also uh, on execution. Let me just note that down here. So, Odo serves no useful purpose going there, except to shout at the court that everything is bad and wrong. But, like, we no, we can tell. Yeah, Give us we, a little credit. If this was bitter made, were we supposed to think he was stalling? Right, yeah, exactly. Also, I don't. I don't know quite what we're supposed to get from the few moments when uh, all of the crew on DS9 look at each other and they go, well, I guess O'Brien did steal these warheads. It's like Wolf in the Fold again, where yeah. they're like, yeah. Scotty probably did it. And he's got he's got confused feelings about Cardassians, so he probably did this thing. Yeah. And it's like... I, they're going to leave that know. part out when they tell him about how heroically they saved him later. Here's the problem. In Wolf in the Fold, we don't know that Scotty didn't do it. Like, we know because of television reasons that Scotty didn't do it, but they haven't shown us evidence that he's been framed. Actually, they've shown us some pretty good evidence that he did it. (laughs) All the evidence does suggest that he did do it. Whereas in this one, the viewers know that he didn't do it already. So having them be like, I don't know, do you think he did it? It's like, 
what purpose does it serve? Just wasting time. Yeah. They can't write 42 minutes. It's hard. So, you know, a lot of this episode's problems are the writer's fault, but I don't think Avery Brooks knocked it out of the park either. I gave it a three. Uh, Ben gave it a four on the take. True justice will triumph over fake justice. Uh, He doesn't have any mention of street justice in here, so I don't know where it it plays in. Um, But true justice didn't triumph. The Federation just won a political game. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Uh, He said uh, points for Star Trek-style optimism, but it's just so patently untrue in the real world. And again, I think probably also in this episode. Uh, He gave execution a five. Um, I'm trying to find something that... Why does O'Brien put the shields up right away? Or why doesn't he? I don't remember whether he did or didn't. A uh, good mystery and espionage story. I see why DS9's polarizing since its whole business is less grand and the story is much smaller. Uh, generally, I've liked that, though. Yep. Uh, so you gave it a four and a five on the front. World building. That's you, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. It is me. Uh, I mean, we so we learn a lot about the Cardassian justice system. Archons and conservators and nesters and their show trials. Um, it's hard to say whether that's going to be important going forward. Yeah. I feel like that's less important than learning about Cardassian politics. Yeah, unless like we the, got a ton of these fucking trials the coming up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, photon warheads are stored separately. And apparently... Just in a weapons locker, not near the torpedo launchers? Yeah, they might not be very efficient in battle. It just seems like, what, do they beam them down when they need them? Or, I don't know. Uh, Riker volunteers to carry them down. Yeah, it's uh, a good point. And then he regrets it. Yeah. And then some Cardassian infiltration techniques and some of their political agenda with the Maquis. So it's not utterly devoid of that stuff. But in the end, I gave it the uh, what we call the standard three. Well, check this one out. Cardassians use Ladarium for their warp drives. God. There's that Hideki class again. Um, the Cardassian prisoner processing protocol, Chief Archon. The Enterprise, Prokofiev, and Valdemar are ordered to the DMZ. That makes sense because we know the Enterprise spent a ton of time in this part of space in 6 and 7. Yeah, in season 6 and 7 they were hanging around there all the fucking time. Uh, Nestor or Advisor, uh, Computers continue to be fooled by voice recorders. It doesn't make any sense. They never seem to catch on. Um, again, court TV on all the jumbotrons in Times Square. Um, rules about evidence and court procedure. More cardi agents in disguise, which kind of feels like continuity with what we saw in Voyager. Yep. Um, oh, of course, this came first. Yes. <clears throat> if this Archon considers O'Brien killing Cardassians during the war as a past criminal record then why do they need the trumped-up charges? Why not just nab him? Is it because this is the plot of, about the Maquis or something? It's a real good question, but I think it's about the Maquis. It's a four for me. I felt like we um, got enough continuity. It strengthened well, the world-building for me. Well, then tell me about characterization. Mm, I will. Why is Dax the backup operations chief? Is it because she doesn't have a real job? <laughs> Could be. They don't have to do that much science just sitting there, it turns out. No, only when one of those crazy, uh, either some kind of uh, crazy anomaly or maybe an alien being visits DS9 to... Yeah, she was busy last year. Wreak havoc. O'Brien is incapable of leaving the station in others' hands. He also doesn't seem like he really wants to hang out with his wife. I guess the last few years have been hard on them, though. 
it seems like it. I mean, this is their first vacation in five years. That probably doesn't help. During Look, the- they got married, she got pregnant, and then right away he got taken over by a fucking entity. <laughs> and he said mean things. And yes, it wasn't him. But, <laughs> but does she remember it when she looks at him sometimes? Yeah. Also, yes. Is that fair? Bit. No. But it's human nature. Yeah. And for whatever reason, she's not working it out with Troy. No. <laughs> Maybe they've got some long Oh, range. probably because Troy was one of the entities. That's I bet true. that doesn't help. <laughs> you can't talk to her about it. It doesn't help. Um... Some stuff during the trial about how he, his daughter will think of him as a criminal that he tells Odo. And that's what he's worried about. Yeah, he's about. real proud of himself for having integrity. A thing that only people who have integrity say. That's right. Uh, Odo is an officer of the Cardassian court, but he doesn't crush it during this trial. Mostly just gets told he should shut up. Yep. Uh, Kira definitely thinks it's... Not only possible, but likely O'Brien is guilty of crimes against Cardassia. She probably doesn't have a problem with it, but she nah. does believe it. Other than that, there wasn't well, a ton of characterization. O'Brien is probably the Federation uh, person she goes to when she wants to talk shit about the Cardassians. Oh, for sure. Well, we know she doesn't talk to Dax, because Dax will just stand there on the bridge in front of everyone going, How many people you killed? Yeah. Hey, how <laughs> many, though? How many is did you 10? kill? It's more than ten? You killed tw- 20. I'm going to keep going. You tell me when we get there. You killed 30? More? She killed 40 people, everybody. She killed 40 fucking people. What did it feel like? Tell me how you felt. Did, um, it, did it make you tingle? <laughs> you know. You know, downstairs. Air? there, Down on the, the underpants area. Because <laughs> making me tingle kind of just thinking about Dex it. Dex so. is gradually also going to become Carl. It's going to be turning to Carl. <laughs> Uh, not a lot of character work done in this. I gave it a four. Well, you're still one ahead of me. I, I only thought the character work done here was worth about three points. Okay. I think O'Brien would know how many Cardassians he had killed. You know he kept track. I don't think Keiko would have kept silent at the trial. No. I don't think Cisco would be satisfied with convicted but released O'Brien. No. Since it still allows the Cardassians to push their agenda publicly. So I think we have more misses than hits here. I mean, Odo was okay. He wasn't effective. But then uh, I guess he was li- that was limited to that role, right? Yeah. Nestor's so, ain't got no power. Yeah. Um, but, you know, character-wise, I thought o- Odo was, was fine. Mm. He's a little suspicious of O'Brien when he gets there. He thinks maybe he did do it. But yeah. whatever. Well, the evidence that he had seen to that point seemed to indicate. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So it's a three for me on characterization. Uh, ben was a uh, five for world building. Yep. All the Cardi legal system stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, were those Cardassian children watching the trial? They did look like young civilians. Okay. And uh, he's a five on characterization. He says O'Brien's a hothead to the point of stupidity. Yeah. He's going to fight those three armed Cardassians. And yeah. I don't know. Uh, his only quick hitters are Enterprise is going to the DMZ. It's true that in the old shows, he says they would have infiltrated Cardi Space and sprung their buddy. But I think they don't care about O'Brien. <laughs> yeah. I think he also, left in there. Whatever. He's in central prison, probably on Cardassia Prime. Like, I know that Data and Picard go to Romulus. For Spock. To, for Spock. Yeah. But, like, the 
they go to some lengths to do that. That's not something that they could put together in two days, probably. No, they gotta hire Steven Root. They gotta, they gotta hire Steven Root. Gotta get that good, he, good makeup job done. He thinks O'Brien did best and Keiko did worst in this one. Uh, I have some quick hitters, though. Do it. O'Brien's casual clothes are shitty. They're not good. I'm not into that wraparound thing he's doing. No, what it looks like to me is some fucking Lord of the Dance shit or something. How? How? Well, that's racist that you said that, but yes. <laughs> how come the fucking computer can't tell when someone's voice is being played back? I know. It knows O'Brien's not standing there at the weapons bay door. Not only that, it is very easy once Dax looks into it to tell that it's not true. But yes. the computer The same computer no later tells her, nah, it was not what he fooled me. What I said earlier was I was I was playing around and you fell for it. And it's like, all right, this is shitty Cardassian technology. How come Data can stand on the bridge of the Enterprise and say Picard's voice? And it's not like, but Picard's not here. I know your Data, though. I, nice but you're try. still wearing your comm badge, your Data. I, can, I know what you look like. I've seen you. We it's fuck a out together. security hole we fuck out in Federation times. technology. Yeah, it is. It's not good. Missed opportunity to use Gul Dukat against Gullivac here. Yeah, but would Dukat do that to his old buddy, Cisco? I mean, but no, but I actually mean to use him against Gullivac. Oh, I see what you mean. Because well, like, Cisco end, could have called in a favor, yeah. or when I, you know what I mean? Cisco like, shows up there in the end, I expected a line about how Gul Dukat let him do right, this thing, something like that. Yeah, um, because clearly this is some trumped up Maki bullshit, and they tried to pin the trumped up Maki bullshit on Gul Dukat <laughs> last time. Now yeah. we don't know that Gullivac specifically tried to do it. It was that uh, admiral. Yeah. But I legate. also got the feeling that Gullivec was not happy to see Gul Dukat in his part of space. Right. Back back. So, like, mi- real missed opportunity to use Gul Dukat against him to help resolve this you scenario. You know I'm here. always down with more Gul Dukat. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Cisco, don't just send him on vacation like he's not going to need some fucking counseling after he got stripped naked and had a tooth extracted and then he was fucking told he was going to be on a show trial and he'd be executed next week and his wife had to watch the whole thing. But no, it's all right. Just, you know what? Yeah, just send him on vacation. Keiko's definitely going to fuck it all out of him, right? Yeah. He'll be fine when he comes back to work next week. He'll be a-okay, but his dick won't work right. Like, like Cisco, like when he's like, uh, clearly he doesn't want to go on the vacation now. And Cisco's like, nah, fuck it. I pulled strings to extend your reservation at the lagoon, so. That's right. Who cares if this is good for your health at all, or if you might need counseling? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no one gives a shit. Oh, you've just been through some shit? Well, let's not take a week, like, for family and have you go down and hash it out with your brother. Instead, go on vacation. <laughs> yeah, the whole ending was not great. Yeah. Um, I gave uh, best actor to Odo and worst actor to uh, Archon. Whatever uh, her name was. Mockbar? <laughs> she did say Mockbar, and I went, I'll buy that. That doesn't seem right. You don't sound like a Mockbar to me. Uh, I got some. <clears throat> I'm not against the Japanese music they are playing because I am a racist. <laughs> but it also doesn't really sound like sex tunes to me. Like, I don't think you would fuck to that. No, and it's also, like, she doesn't go, my favorite, or anything like that. So no. it really does just seem like it's for fucking he just picked any Japanese 
composer or whatever, and she was like, yeah, I'm, into I'm it. Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like me. Has Gullivec fallen on hard times? Why is he personally out there doing this arrest? Yeah, it only makes sense in the context of they're trying to do something about Maki policy. And, and he so is he's, he's personally leading this involved. frame up. Yeah, he's involved in that. Um, O'Brien keeps saying his rank is chief of operations, but that can't be right. Doesn't seem like a rank. No. Some kind of chief, but not a chief of operations. Uh, this lady knows Ducat, so again, would have been good if he was involved in some way. Um, two courtroom dramas in the same week, and then that other one about the shoot. Always weird how that happens. Yep. Um, oh, also, it didn't come up, but... O'Brien just wanting to read his technical manuals instead of going on just vacation. Like Obvious nod to triples. Mm-hmm. Again. Surprised Ben didn't give it more points because of that. <laughs> Ten points for characterization. Uh, again, the you flatter me, sir guy was, was crushing it. Um, uh, I already talked about that Maki turning out the lights. Mm, uh, oh, this Archon's fired, right? It ain't going to be good for her. I mean, she did the, basically the worst trial. She went and on Core TV and got schooled. They're not They're not going to be able to explain that she only let everybody off the hook, that she only let O'Brien off the hook for political reasons because they did some crimes. Yeah, that's not going to be a thing you so can tell So she's going to have to take the fall for it, whether she deserves to or not. Yeah, she's fired. Um, and good, because I didn't like her name. That's all I had. All right. So. Gone and done it. We done the thing in and out in only two hours and 40 minutes, but let's do a little wrap up on the week. Uh, Coming in in fifth place this week with a pretty poor 22 points Mm. Voyager with the shoot. Could have been worse. Could have been twisted. Could have been twisted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right behind it in fourth place uh, with 30 points, which is actually pretty close to the statistical average for all episodes, but it's a little worse than average. Mm. Uh, Deep Space Nine with Tribunal. There goes their streak. Yep, not a win, but frankly, it's not going to hurt them too badly. It's uh, Their average is 31.55, so this is really pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in third place this week, with 33 points, is TNG with Manhunt. Yeah. An episode that... It wasn't good. It's not a good episode. It wasn't, it wasn't good, but also I, I kind of didn't mind it. Well, it got 13 in characterization. I think we yeah. just had a good old time with the boys of deck one. Yeah. They just did We did it. enjoy them. Trying to escape that uh, sex lady. Yeah. Second place this week with a fairly respectable 37 points. Uh, TOS with the trouble with tribbles. Uh, that means together. That's the one you and I were farthest apart on, by the way. Together, we scored it less than Ben did. That's right. Ben did score 40 points on his own. It's one, one of the many reasons why we don't put his scores in here. Uh, yes, this was our biggest difference this week. It was We had yeah. five points separating us. But we were five off on, uh, on triples. Last week we had two that were separated by six points. So. Uh, but the winner this week with 44 points, mm. Enterprise, Judgment. That is we each gave thing. it 22 also, so it's not like there's... This is even on the strength of one of us. Yeah, it was both of our number ones this week. Enterprise gets its third win. Wow. Pushing Voyager into a lone last place. Where it belongs. Enterprise also passes Voyager in points. Oh. They now have an eight-point lead. 
over uh, over Voyager. Voyager has lost so, the rights to its music. <laughs> Voyager has lost the rights to its music. That's the best part of punishment. Voyager. It is a punishment for being worse than Enterprise. I'm being punished. That's right. You don't get to hear that 10-second clip. Oh, I'm so mad at Voyager. So you do have the option of watching the full credits every two weeks. I would never do that. Who's got time um, for that? So here's where we stand after 44 weeks. Right. TOS still has 16 wins. Uh, TNG right behind them at 14. DS9 at 9 wins. Enterprise 3 and Voyager 2. Uh, the uh, TNG has the most points, averaging 34.8 an episode, and Voyager least at 28.14. That's a full six and a half points difference. Yeah, they don't, um, they don't ever make up any ground. They just keep, they keep falling. That average no. just keeps getting worse. Because they fucking suck. Yeah. They're in a slump, for sure. Next week is a mailbag week. When we return to the Star Trek project, we will be watching the Gamesters of Triskelion. Hold on, let me see. Let's see what this episode is. Uh, It's got some broad. This this might be this might be the one where uh, oh the Enterprise crew are drill thralls. Is that correct? Uh, Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov are trapped on a planet where abducted aliens are enslaved and trained to perform as gladiators for the amusement of bored, faceless aliens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this the one where Kirk and Uhura kiss? Maybe. It could be. It could. I thought that was a third season episode, but maybe it's this one. Mm. We're watching The Emissary. Well, good. It's about time. The Emissary. Like that one. That's exciting. Uh, DS9, I think we've hit the season finale because it is the Jem'Hadar. That is the season two finale, and that means... Oh, wait. Is the search not the season two finale? No, the search is the season three premiere. But it's two parts. It's sort of, it's approximate. It's close to two Okay, We're at the end of, anyway, the Gem Hadar. Okay. For Voyager, we're watching The Swarm. Mm, I don't know what that's about. Hold on. I'm going to find out right now. Oh, shit. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Doctor suffers from a computer malfunction. I'm out. (laughs) It's going to be great. I'm just not going to watch it. And for Enterprise, Horizon. <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me, I'm just going to give everyone the one-line review on this one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Why isn't this clear already? Uh, Mayweather. Oh, good. Uh, temporarily leaves Enterprise to visit the cargo ship Horizon where he was born. And All right. Great. It's going to well, go home. We liked that other episode about the cargo boys. No. It's just that he's such a bad actor. It could be a rough one. Anyway, yeah, we'll find be. out. That's what you should watch if you want to play along. But next week is a mailbag, send so us mail. send us your tweets. You could send us an email if you cared to, but uh, Twitter works pretty well. Yeah, we read it. I'll read anything. Um, We know that book reports are ongoing. I don't know if they will be ready by next time, but I don't know. Maybe there will be a progress report. Uh, that's right. We have uh, We have seen a tweet. We did not assign a book report last week i don't know i feel like i might have i might have asked that one of these be read i see well there is a we know which uh well we know uh one of two books i think is is being worked on so uh we may or may not have a book report that's a week so maybe not but it's coming in the future 
Uh, we're not doing any projects right now, so we'll just do another easy breezy mailbag. Yeah, and then again, tweet us at BrotherDate. Go to BrotherDate.com, go to the iTunes, leave us a super cool five-star review that says it's Star Trek all the time. Nothing but Star Trek, just the Star Treks. More of those. And then uh, we'll catch you on the flippity-flop. Boys of Deck 1, out! I mean, of course, you should have just looked at him and said, A what? A what? <laughs> A what, boy? Ah, <laughs> oh, you're bringing the George out on me. I'm so mad now. Please subscribe.